I'm Chowder. I'm Nolan. I'm Anika. I'm Alex. I'm Kat. I'm Jose. I'm Amna. I'm Jamie. I'm Justin. And, and this, this is Comics First. Thank you for listening. This is probably one of the most important podcasts we'll ever do. Today we'll be discussing Marvel's Muslim characters. And what do I love about all these characters? They happen to all be women, which is pretty cool. There's not a lot of opportunities for um, minority women characters in Marvel Comics. So I love that these three great characters happen to be Muslim. Just to give some context into why we chose this topic, Donald Trump as acting president of the United States, because I refuse to call him President Trump, uh, has placed a ban on Muslims entering America from a specific set of countries. A clear case of fear-mongering that panders to his, uh, I was just going to call his supporters possibly uninformed, but what I really mean is that they are definitely uninformed. Um, but I'm going to say possibly because I'm going to be nice. So last Sunday, I watched Fareed Zakaria's new show on CNN, and uh, he reported a study by the Cato Institute, a conservative think tank that tallied the number of Americans killed on U.S. soil from 1975 to 2015 by citizens of the seven countries that the U.S. banned people from entering. And those tallies are as follows. Iraq. Should, we, should I guess how many people... How many Americans do you guys think Iraq killed from 1975 to 2015 on American soil? Probably none. Zero. Iran? Zero. Zero. I feel like I'm in school. Syria? Zero. Yemen? Zero. Libya? Zero. Uh, Somalia? Zero. Sudan? Zero. He goes on to say the chance of an American killed on U.S. soil in an attack from some of these uh, countries is one in 3.6 million. So very likely. And the chance of an American killed by a refugee is one in 3.64 billion. Um, wow. Yeah. Numbers. That's pretty- Whereas the chances of an American being killed by a toddler with a gun are quite high. Yeah, like one in, and- like 50%. Yeah. So um, to put that in perspective, the odds of being struck by lightning this year, one in 960,000. Wow. Oh, well. Wow. to that one guy. So that's uh, pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, but one guy's like got it like three or four times, hasn't he? Like he's like eating it for everybody. Supposedly. Some supposedly people, they try to get hit by lightning. Yeah, they like it. Needless to say, we house a, ri- a wide variety of opinions uh, with those who contribute writings here. And although I can't say for certain, I have a feeling most of us find this Muslim ban kind of gross. But before we get into dispelling any rumors about um, anti-Muslim propaganda, you can find more information about us on everything we discuss here on ComicsFirst.com and all over our social media. And just in case I messed something up, please forgive me for any mispronunciations. I was getting taught how to pronounce Saruya's, Saruya? Saraya's name, um, who's Dust in X-Men Comics. So again, please forgive me for any mispronunciations. Definitely trying my best. So somebody new to Comics First here is Anika. How do I pronounce your last name? Because you're here to tell me. Hussein. This is exactly like how it's spelled. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Anika, how are you? you? You wrote this incredible open letter to Ms. Marvel, which I know Amna loved. So how do you feel about being on your first podcast? Are you nervous? Thank you. To be very honest, I am very nervous, but I'm <laughs> excited at the same time. Before officially becoming a part of Comics First, I listened to the podcast and I daydreamed about being a part of one. Aww. So you could say I'm living my dream right now. <laughs> oh, that's so Aww. cute. That's so awesome. <laughs> I'm totally going to give you a hug after this. That, like, made, like, my, <laughs> that made my 2017. But yeah, tell us a little, bit, a little bit more about what inspired your open letter. So I wrote the letter on November 3rd. So it was during election season. At the time, I also discovered Miss Marvel. And I absolutely fell in love with it because finally there's a brown Muslim character in mainstream media 
who's not a taxi driver or a terrorist. I was immediately able to relate to her because as a Muslim American myself, I've been struggling with cultural identity crisis since I was only five years old. And as I mentioned in my open letter for South Asian women, the ceiling is not made of glass, it's concrete. So seeing Miss Marvel breaking concrete inspired me a lot. And I wanted other Muslim women to be inspired as well. Okay, podcast done. I don't think anyone can say anything better. <laughs> I'm like kind of going to cry a little bit. That was like so, that was really amazing. Oh my God. Lots of you just gave me the feels. The feels. Good notes. Yeah. Kat. I always loved Anika, but she just broke me. I know, Anika. I think you became my favorite person like, in the history of the world. Thank you. Um, that's really awesome. And uh, moving on to here, we have a cartoon character named Chowder, who, I, who I have to call Chowder. Hi. Because uh, I'm not allowed to say his real name. But you're also a really cool media marketing person. You've done a lot of media marketing shit for us. So if you guys see a cartoon character at Comics First holding a GoPro, <laughs> that's me. his name is Chowder. Yeah, no, uh, happy to be here. And uh, are you more of a New England clam or Manhattan? Just asking. Mix of both. Okay, I feel weird asking this stuff after Anika. You're taking Anika Chowder really cry. literally, I think. I am. I can't help uh, it. I don't trying... think you should make fun of the... Uh... <laughs> what? Oh, make, delicious. Make, chowder is good. I would eat Chowder every day if Thank I could. Thank you. I never have. You would eat chowder. I would eat. You would eat him. Not him, but I would eat. <laughs> I would eat the food. I wouldn't. AKA mind. chowder. Chowder. Um. Anyway, so how do you feel about being on your first podcast? Um. Pretty much everything. What Anika said. I would just. Yeah. Great. Good to be here. You're uh, excited. Very. No. I've been nervous. This is my first. Uh. Happy to be amongst all these awesome people. Familiar voices from previous podcasts. It's like plug in to please check out our YouTube series, uh, weekly comic news show. Uh, that's all. I'm out. Thank you. But for the first time, all the way here from Philly is Alex. How do I, it's Bisignaro, right? Yeah. Okay, because I can do an Italian name. Okay, cool. So, how do you feel about being here? Are you excited to talk Marvel? Are you nervous? All of the above. I'm a little anxious, but um, I'm excited. Are you mostly a Marvel guy? Or are you kind of a DC guy? I'm mostly a Marvel guy. Um, I read a little DC, but yeah, I'm a Marvel fanboy for sure. Cool. And you're um, from Philly. From Philly. Um, have the accent a little bit. But um, yeah, I love Miss Marvel. I'm excited to talk about her. Dustin Monet as well. Say water. I say water, not water. Okay, um, cool. Do you shoot people? I mean, only when I'm in North Philly, but okay. I haven't been there in a couple of years. Well, I like Philly. I've always had a great time there. So Philadelphia is a wonderful city. Yeah, I had a friend from Kensington. She said it was bad. Is that true? Up and coming, which means it's going through gentrification. How was it 20 years ago? She was from there 20 years ago. I can't speak it 20 years oh, yeah, ago, but like, like 12 years 10- old. Jose, how was it? It was bad? <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. 20 years ago, I was five. But, um, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I mean, <laughs> it's like this neighboring town is Fishtown, and that's like pretty, it's up and come already. So Kensington's the next step. But, okay, um, cool. it's cool. Kat, you're here for a second time. Hey. And you were also here when we also talked about women characters in Marvel last week. What's, yeah. so, what's so funny about that? It's just ironic because it was a week later and we're doing the exact same podcast just with Muslim women. Yeah, I love it. I'm super excited. I had a great time on the last podcast. Awesome. Are you really excited about how it takes two hours longer after the start time? <laughs> it's nice because, you know, like I get home from work and I'm like, all right, it's podcast time. But then I have like two hours to chill and get myself in the zone. Awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like that. So no complaints. Do you have any advice for anyone whose first time it is today? Because you were pretty nervous last week, right? Yeah, I was super nervous. Um, I was afraid that I was going to have nothing to say and I was going to get yelled at, but that's not true at all. So, um, yeah, if you're nervous, it'll go away. Like, I was super nervous, but as soon as we got going, I was really relaxed and I had a lot of fun. And there's no pressure to, you don't feel like forced to say anything that you're not sure about, you know, just whatever you have to contribute. We all have something to contribute today. So, exactly. Only 300,000 people listen to this, so no pressure. (laughs) 
Just don't think about that. Right. Don't think about but they're that. They're not in front of you right now. So yeah. they're not. No, they're under this table. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay. So that brings us to season vets. Um, and Jose and Omni are, are here. As I used to call them, the Brad and Angelina. Oh, I can't say that anymore. The Brad and Angelina of Columbia GS. But yeah, it's ironic because the last time you guys were on a podcast together with me, we were talking about Islam and comics. And it was yeah. like our third podcast Actually, ever. Yeah. Omni did um, Aya of Yop City which I had a really great time on. Anyway, so Amna, Jose, tell everybody how has this podcast not changed? Because when we, I'm sure when we first started, we also had 15 cameras and 100 lights. Just kidding. Oh, my God. No, I think the, the podcast that we were on, I think it was just your second one, if I wasn't mistaken. Yeah. And it was in Justin's apartment. So that part hasn't changed. But <laughs> what <laughs> I mean, but it's great. You you can really personalize the space that way. And it, I, I like the intimacy of the apartment. Um, it was much quieter and there wasn't a need for Zoom and all of this remote equipment. Yeah. Well, we had a microphone, but it was in. Not, not, not this nice. This is nice. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, we've come a long way. The mixer I had was much smaller. Remember, it only had two inputs, one for one mic and one for the other one. <laughs> It was easier to set up then, you know? It was much easier to set up. <laughs> it was see like, us, so that was fine. Yeah, no one could see us. It was awesome. And we were pretty wasted. That's the same. You were pretty wasted. You, you, were, you, were, you, were, you were pretty oh, Jose, I think I remember you being a little wasted as too. I, uh, weighing 200 pounds it helps in the drinking department. It, uh, hey, try weighing 400. Um, you had a head start. I did, I did. No, I'm teasing. But yes, that was a really fun time. I'm really glad you guys are both back. Also, Nolan's here. So, Nolan, I finally have like your tagline, which is that you're a Columbia PhD student studying the early modern first half of the early modern Ming Dynasty. Thank you. Yeah, that's very accurate. I could trouble it a little in that my advisor has recently been saying that the early Ming is a kind of an interruption in Chinese modernization, but you got it down as far as I and most academics are concerned. Awesome. I'm so so I can walk into the Chinese history department and tell them that. I'll just be like, you got hired. When you say early modern, they're all going to look at you and go like, yeah, okay, let's cool. talk about that. I don't even yeah. know who the Mings are, so I don't even know. Well, porcelain, right? Ming dynasty, blue and white porcelain. That's what they're that famous comes from for. There? Ming vases, you know. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. I have about. no idea what you're talking about. Okay, but oh, cool. okay. Next time I get a vase, I'll let you know. Or plates as well. The reason like China is called China, like plates are called oh, China okay, is because yeah. of that. Oh, cool. I didn't yeah. know. Marco Polo brought them over. Not exactly. I'm just no, curious. No. He's the only one I really know about who went there, uh, except for you who went to China and came back. So last but never least is Comics First Managing Editor, soon to be lawyer, right, Jamie? Yes, sir. In, in a year and a half. She's probably going to sue me for all the, all the horrible things I've said on this podcast, and it'll be awesome. Never. <laughs> but how are you? Any advice for all the newbies? Because you're literally, you've done how many podcasts? Like 50 or something now. Probably less than 50. Probably like 40. But advice, I would say, is just, I was thinking about this before. I was like, he's going to ask me to give advice. And I was like, be yourself. And that's bad advice. But Don't do I that. think the key is just to like. <laughs> it is bad advice. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think the key is just to get into the conversation and then you just forget all of a sudden that you're being recorded. And then a couple weeks later, when you listen to it, you're like, wow, I said something that made sense and was smart. And then be proud later. Because I feel like the easiest way is just to be in the conversation and have a good time. Be in the moment. Yeah. Do you recommend alcohol? I always recommend a couple drinks. But there is a point on 
the saga podcast where I think I passed that level. And then I just became really excited about everything. I so, want to listen to this now. <laughs> that was a great podcast. Uh, yeah, it came out really well. So I think that there's like a perfect level, but I would say for newbies, limit to three drinks, but enjoy those three drinks. Cool. Before we get into these characters from Marvel, I wanted to dispel some myths about Islam, uh, particularly some I uh, hear people repeat. Sometimes old people, but sometimes Fox News people. You know what Fox News does, though? It doesn't like say them. It just sort of like assumes them, like how Donald Trump said, like, Megyn Kelly is bleeding out of her, like, blank. Wherever. And then you, and then you ask him what, <laughs> and he goes, oh, blank. I didn't say anything. Fox News does the same thing, you no, know? Like, saying, right. Yeah. Well, and, anyway, I just want to say, like, of course, like, listen, there's Hispanic people, and I know a Muslim friend who voted for Donald Trump. So, you know, let's not stereotype anybody. Um, but anyway, let's keep the record straight on some things. I'm glad we have some people on the panel who have a Muslim background who can help set the record straight. So here are some falsehoods. I put them in quotes. We'll do a true or false game. The one thing I often hear is uh, Muslim countries have been at war with one another and the West since before the time of Christ. True or false? And can you give me an example? I mean, true, but so have Christians and, and, and not always for religious reasons. So Islam came after well, but mm -hmm. the, the, the idea, <laughs> so there's yes, that. so there's that <laughs> point, but I, I, I was focused on, on the land part and nations have been at war with each other for a very long time and it, and it hasn't always been for religion. Yeah, so there's been a war there, but I was going to say false because like there was the time, the library of Baghdad where all the, the dark ages going on in Western Europe and the Ottoman Empire, there was... Peace yes, in certain. There was peace within yeah. the empire. Yeah, but, it's on the edges of the empire. Where but Jose, happens, now I feel right? now I feel like I'm it's like I don't know the history properly. <laughs> well, no, but it's it's not even about knowing the history. It's, I think that just like countries in in Africa right now, someone could say the same thing about Africa. It's like Africa has been at war forever. Therefore, there will never be peace in Africa, and that's wrong. Just like we could say that there's been war in North America for a very long time. If people want to look at mm -hmm. uh, the warfare that happened with the you know with the indigenous people and and the current people now to this day, if you roll the clock 500 years in the future, someone could say what's going on in North Dakota is still considered an internal war. So I guess it all hinges on how you define the conflict. Now, I was going to go off of that too i was thinking i would say false only because if you said true then you'd have to say like oh well then did america ever truly stop fighting with russia like has the cold war ended like all that stuff it's like these wars they wars fights conflicts they just continue organically all the time between different people so i feel like to me it has to be a no because if we say yes then we have to admit that we're always in conflict which i mean i guess we could admit that uh i was gonna say that like uh, i agree with Jose, 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 that uh, that like, yeah, the whole world has been at war until modernity, you know, like it's just Europe was famous for its uh, state of warfare f throughout the Hundred Years War throughout. Like if you look on Wikipedia, there's just like war after war up until around the 20th century. Then it's like two massive wars in the early 20th century and only is the late 20th century characterized by peace. That's like the only time in history that there has been so much peace, you know, that's the time in which we now live. Also, I would point out that like Muslims didn't start the Crusades. Europeans did. They didn't try to attack Europe. It, the Crusades all happened in the Middle East because Europeans attacked the Middle East. You know, that's where it all happened. So uh, the next point is Muslims are more violent because the Quran is a much more violent text than the Christian Bible. I don't know. I've read the Quran like three times. You read the Quran three times? Yeah, I understand anything, but I'm not that violent. No, I felt the same way about Moby Dick. Yeah. Except I'd never read it. 
Same. Um, anyone else have anything to say about that? I also read the Quran once, and yeah, I, I agree with Chowder. I'm not violent. <laughs> I'm actually a really calm person, as you can tell. If I may add, so like comics are pretty violent in general. You you go from one comic book to the next, and it's one, someone beating up someone else, someone killing or attempting to kill someone else, or you know, well, superhero else. comics, superhero comics. Yeah, superhero comics in general are, and it may say something about our culture and society and what we value, but um, it doesn't necessarily make us violent. We don't go around beat, beat folks up just because we you know we read X Men. Absolutely. And speaking about American culture, I'm not sure we should get into this now, but I think it does kind of plays into that whole might equals right stereotype that I think is true about us. Or I, I read it, it was false that a textual analysis reveals the Bible is much more violent than the Quran. Killing and destruction are referenced slightly more often in the New Testament, 2.8% than in the Quran, 2.1%. The Old Testament is at 5.3%. And also, you know, they did some messed up crap in the Old Testament. Well, I, I think this just speaks to the kind of like state of affairs in like a large stable state as opposed to in a kind of a, like a frontier region, you know, like when Muhammad uh, wrote the Quran or like copied it down, you know, there was a lot of war in Saudi Arabia. And that's part of the reason why a lot of war is spoken of in the Quran. And he was, he was basically making a call for people to ally with each other rather than fight each other. And the same is true of the Old Testament. Like Israel was united when the Old Testament was written, but it was fighting a lot of wars with its neighbors. Whereas the new t- when the New Testament was written, the Roman Empire was enforcing peace on all these people. So there, there's not as much war at that time. But it does, the New Testament does speak of a lot of resistance to the Roman Empire, whether in actively violent forms or in other forms. It was a call to arms. Yeah, yeah. Resistance to the Roman Empire, for sure. All right. Here's one that I hear all the time and I used to think was true until I looked it up. Uh, Women are subjugated in all Muslim countries. Uh, Take a look at all the countries that perform female genital mutilation. True or false? False. False. Anika, you responded first. Why? I'm sure you knew that way before you saw my answer and why it was false written in the script. Well... Um, because I, I am from Bangladesh and two of our prime ministers were women. And even in Pakistan, I know that Benazir Puto is that Benazir Puto? The other way was Benazir. Okay. Uh, yeah, she was the 11th prime minister of Pakistan. So, yeah, that's totally false. It is totally false. And I would also like to point out that Ethiopia, a Christian country, performs more than 75% of female genital mutilation in the world, which is. What a lot of people think of when they think of, you know, what they get, what they get it confused with. And nowhere in the Quran does it say to do that. That's totally regional. Right. It's like a local custom kind of thing. Yeah, it yeah. is. I think it's important to not conflate um, a region's cultural history with the Islamic influence. Because a lot of that culture bled into the Islamic beliefs once it was adapted by the people of that particular region. Which is why you see such variations, even throughout the Middle East with Islam, even today. Like I'm from Pakistan. I immigrated here when I, in, 99, in 1991, I almost at my age, <laughs> um, in 1991. And um, the type of Islam that people would describe to me here in the States was not the Islam that I grew up with. Which So it was a very confusing time for me. It's like, wait, where are you getting your information from? This is just weird. And let us not forget um, that people used slavery in America. Uh, they just, they used the Bible to justify that. 
It can be used to justify anything. Yeah, religion can be used to justify a lot. And I would just also like to point out that Benazir Bhutto was the 11th prime minister of um, Pakistan, but you know we've had at least 12 American female presidents, right? 13. 13. So we just got a new one in November. The relationship between Islam and the like uh, various local traditions of the places into which it expanded is kind of like the 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 paganism that is part of Christmas and Easter. You know, these are like pre-Christian beliefs that are incorporated into our holidays, even though they're not part of Christianity, and they're and they're not too offensive. You know, but there are of course many like pre-Islamic beliefs of varying levels of. I guess offensiveness that are part of the Islamic world. They're just like they're just things to do with that place and the people who feel that they belong to that place. What I was going to say is that trying to pick in one detail out of a kind of what I'm going to say, you know, the mixture of religion and the local culture is, and then using that against a, a particular group of people is mm-hmm. like saying that it's the same as saying that Christmas is just a, a fat guy in a red suit that, you know, goes around dropping off presents and, and it completely dismisses all the other ideas that people have about Christmas, whether it's about having family or, or whether the nativity scene or, or all those other things that that is a danger of stereotype. And I mean, kind of like to the point that we were saying earlier, or that I, I brought up earlier is that those stereotypes are interesting because I also I'll think that there's a reflexivity toward against them later down the road. He's like, well, hold on a second. Christmas is more than just the fat guy in the red suit. It's about this, this, and this, and this. So stereotypes as a point of entry, I think, are useful, uh, but I definitely agree that they hurt more than more than anything else. I mean, something I was taught in high school was that all stereotypes are 100% wrong. Well, even if, you know, there's a stereotype, let's say there's a group of 400 people and, you know, 399 of them feel the same way. I mean, it's right factually incorrect if you're saying it, that all these people feel the same way. I think one, there is a kind of a stereotype that, Islamic society is incompatible with democracy, that like Islamic regions, regions full of people who believe in Islam are uh, naturally indisposed to democracy. And I think this is like so, it's as wrong as that any other formerly colonized place is naturally undemocratic. You know, the fact is simply that like all places that were formerly colonized do tend toward authoritarian regimes and part of the reason is that there's a legacy of like extremely powerful governments there and that legacy is still felt and still has an impact and it was european countries that created those extremely powerful governments another part of the reason is that like in the cold war and today european and american governments feel that it's convenient to have a very repressive stable regime in places like iraq for instance rather than having one that's open to change because they can count on a certain amount of oil being exported every year from a stable repressive regime. And so they help such a regime to oppress its people. We do the same thing in South America, even though South Americans are not Islamic, but there are a large number of military-run countries in South America, or there were during the Cold War at least, which was, and this was part of the reason. Now the Cold War is over, but we still do want a lot of oil, you know, and our oil prices are still very low. And part of the reason is that like countries in, like Saudi Arabia and Nigeria have like fairly repressive governments and they keep that oil flowing to us at a low price and so we help their governments to stay in power. 
I agree with most of it. I, I, I do take issue with two components. I'll start with what I agree with. I definitely agree with the idea that the stereotypes are un, unfounded, but I also think that the idea of we, so like we as the United, we as the United States, like for instance, I didn't vote to oppress another country. I haven't voted in my representatives for the idea that they've, their platform has been to repress another country or to exploit their, their oil and it's tricky because the the will of a people as seen from from a distance is is through their policy through their national policy so you could say well you know you might not necessarily have done it but you through collective action and some i don't think that there's one insidious government that's out there going we're going to control the world oil on one hand i also on the other hand i don't think that we unwillingly are supporting these kind of governments through some kind of exploitation to me, it's it's in some ways a little stochastic, and in other ways, I think that it's also circumstance of being the, the global hegemon right now. The idea that we just happen to be able to have that kind of influence, and having that influence sets off a chain of events. So I definitely agree that keeping some people in power, and that has been said before, when you know knocking over Saddam was quite possibly one of the dumbest things we could have done with respect to stability in the Middle East, uh, and you know, and regarding oil prices, because if you remember, oil prices went through the roof. For a long time, I remember in New York, I was paying five fifty for regular. If you follow the money, you know, if you follow the that idea, a lot of the oil fields that were recouped after the invasion in Iraq were, are not by American companies. There, but a lot of them are European companies, and the Chinese took a whole bunch of them. Do we get to enjoy the oil prices? Well, I mean, the current oil prices, yeah, but that's also from an uptick of the United States increasing their our oil supply like the Alaskan pipeline has been churning out more than they have in a long time um, same thing has gone you know if you look at Dallas Dallas economic situation has improved and all of Texas has improved because their oil fields are starting to ramped up again back then and then OPEC has decided not to not to cut production I mean everybody was watching the Brent market to see if as the prices plummeted if they were going to cut production and they said no they're going to keep it as is because the idea is that the, the speculation is the way they feel about it is they can choke everyone else out in prices and eventually everyone else but the United States and and, uh, the Middle East will be able to survive the low prices, which for the most part hasn't proven completely true, except for Venezuela. They they definitely crumbled. But all that is to say is that it's what I was saying about stochastic methods is that it's, it's sort of that. It's like one action sets another action with such another reaction with such another reaction. And that's sort of where we ended up. In a country as powerful as ours, no matter how optimistic or good-natured politicians you may have, which some of them are and some of them aren't, they are receiving a lot of pressure from powerful corporations that they might not receive in a less powerful country. You know, like the difference between like fortunes being made or lost is, you know, it sits upon whether corporations can shift this or that congressional vote. And so like they are just as powerful as the U.S. government, basically, certain ones, and they are like bringing that pressure to bear. If we were content with maybe being in a less globally powerful position, then we would, you know, we would probably not suffer that pressure. And it is true what we said at the beginning of the podcast that like the world has been more peaceful since World War II, and our military is part of the reason for that. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a delicate issue. Let's talk about some comics, shall we? Uh, but in preparation for for this podcast, we all read a ton of Ms. Marvel, uh, Generation X, X Factor, the X Factor with. Um, 
Jamie Madrix, not like the original X Factor for those of you X Men fans. The better series. <laughs> we, go that far. Um, <laughs> we also read Uncanny X Men version like 500 and uh, New X Men Academy X. Looks like they dropped the Academy X, but I remember. Additionally, we pulled up some academic papers to give us an even greater background, and I can't pronounce any of these things, so please correct me, whoever you are. I bet you Jose and Amna and Nolan can do some good correcting. Hey, okay, comics as public pedagogy. 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 <laughs> I never used that word before. I look. I, t- I I majored in visual arts. Okay, reading Muslim masculinities through Muslim femininities in Ms. Marvel by help me with names. Shanila S. Shanila S. And Koha Mulji and Elisa D. Nicolini. My favorite one that we read was uh, Avenger Mutant or Allah. A short evolution of the depiction of Muslims in Marvel comics by Nicholas Pumphrey, which I'm not sure if Pumphrey? I'm pronouncing that right Pumphrey. either. Pumphrey. 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 Why was that? What's wrong with you laughing at me, Nolan? Uh, no one's so mean to me. Finding a place uh, for a Muslim heroine in the post 9 11 Marvel Universe, New X Men's Dust by Julie Davis and Robert Wester Fellhouse. Yeah. Okay, wow. Westerfeld. I only knew that it was House because of German. Because yes. uh, of Mary S. Because of German. That sounds, sounds like a good um, name in yeah. Game right. of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Let's dive into some questions. But before we do, how about some introductions to the three characters we'll be discussing? First is Ms. Marvel, then Dust, Soraya Kadir, and finally Monet St. Croix, a.k.a. M. So, um, Anika, you're going to go first with Ms. Marvel. Just give us a little background if you don't mind sure so kamala khan aka miss marvel is a pakistani american teenager from jersey city she is not marvel's first muslim superhero however she is the first to have her own comic book series she is a member of avengers and champions and has shape-shifting and healing abilities jamie how about dust dust was sold into slavery in Afghanistan at a young age. Um, Jesus, I didn't know that. I know, I did some research. Um, she was discovered in the comics read today by Jean Grey um, when they were looking for new mutants. Um, her power seems to be that she can literally change her entire form into dust. She's a Muslim woman. She wears, um, I think it's a job. I know in one of the books they mentioned a different name. Um, the niqab. Niqab and Nikab. Nikab Nabaya. The knob um, is the thing that covers her body and the abaya goes across the face. Sorry, the other way around. She's very committed to her faith. I know this as well. Um, and also the, the book that she was in was, uh, I think it was Gen X was the one that she was in. Oh, no, Dust of. was in, um, first yeah, First she was in New X-Men Academy X, and then she was in, well, first she was in New Mutants. Then she, yeah, New Mutants, Hellions, and she was in New X-Men Academy X. Then she was in Young X-Men. Then Young X-Men got canceled. She hasn't been around too much. But yeah, she's a super cool character. Um, I actually think she had a really cool power, even though, I mean, we'll discuss, I think, more um, her power and how it relates to who she is. Bit of a Danny Moonstar situation going on there at sometimes, but um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a fan of her character. Nolan, are you ready to talk about some M? Monet St. Croix is one of four siblings, all of them the children of a wealthy half-French ambassador, Cartier St. Croix, and all of them mutants. Her grandmother and grandfather, Lenore and Louis St. Croix, were both wealthy white French people. Lenore manifested a mutant power at the time of her young death, and Louis took an active interest in helping mutants in her name after that. Uh, Louis later married a dark-skinned woman, probably Algerian, and their son Cartier took after his father as a successful businessman, a supporter of mutant rights, and even an ambassador. Uh, Cartier's four children are named Marius, uh, just like one of our podcasters. Mm. 
Monet, Claudia, uh, Claudette, and Nicole. Roughly in order of birth. Claudette and Nicole are both twins. Uh, all four of them are mutants, and Marius used his mutant talent for dimensional travel to learn dark magic at a young age. He then used this magic to transform his sister Monet into a being that could not speak in hope of imprisoning her in a dimension he essentially ran because he both needed a mutant to use as a dependable source of sustenance for his powers and because he hated her. After that, the two twins, Nicole and Claudette, used their still mysterious powers to combine into a being of an age equal to twice their own, roughly Monet's age, with still mysterious powers mimicking Monet's, but with a kind of an alternation between their two personalities. Claudette being autistic, this meant that their impersonation of Monet periodically entered a non-communicative state, while Claudette's personality held sway. The real Monet became totally non-communicative due to her brother Marius' emplates transformation of her, as well as due to her effective torture by uh, her brother, who was keeping her in prison to maintain a reliable source of mutant bone marrow. When she was rescued from this situation, Generation X took her in, but the twins disguised as Monet did not reveal that they knew who she really was. Rather, the team figured this out when the twins were comatose, after involuntarily splitting due to a very taxing battle. After a whole other convoluted series of events, Penance, the character who couldn't speak, who was the real Monet, turned back into a vocal Monet, uh, with roughly the same powers the twins had had when they were imitating her, and she gained the powers of their rogue brother Marius, and eventually became a core member of X Factor during Peter David's critically acclaimed run, and then a core member of the current dark X-Men team, as opposed to the more, like, moral X-Men team. The twins have not really been dealt with since Generation X. Uh, Emma's currently, would you say she's currently X-Men version 4? Uh, she's core X-Men. What do you mean version 4? I mean the, late, the version that's going on right now. And her hands have M-plates, like, you know, they suck out the bone marrow. I didn't see that in that, the recent issue with her. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. It happens in, like, the fourth or fifth issue. Oops. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry, guys. Not, I should have put that in. And she's also becomes um, White Queen of the Hellfire Club, which was Emma Frost's old job. Ooh. So one of the things, uh, one of the quotes in one of the papers that we read, which I really liked, was, uh, before 9-11, Muslims were figures of Orientalist imagination, always characterized as Arabs and depicted in stereotypical dress and manner. While we might easily know the answer to this, perhaps there are some that are listening that might not be acquainted, but are all Muslims Arab? No, no, not at all. One of the cool things about comics first is that we, we tackle these things from like an academic uh, point of view. I think it's important to define like the Orientalist tradition. So I don't know how often you guys have tackled Said, but I know that I, I can't remember ever Edward Said even being brought up before. Who? Um, Edward Said. So actually, he's a uh, used to, used to be professor at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I thought it was M's brother. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I was like, is that his name? So uh, mm-hmm. speaking of stereotypes. but um he's he's the guy who wrote uh orientalism and the idea i I mean i'm doing it no justice because it's a a hell of a piece of intellectual work but the the general gist of it the crib notes is uh it's this romanticized version that we have of the east given our colonial and and imperialist perspective or in this era like aladdin right on the on the rug Carpet? Yeah. So yeah, like Aladdin, Sinbad, the idea that um, you know men were more feminine, the idea of them being this magical other, though that's the Orientalist tradition. And Marvel, what you said earlier, that Marvel kind of followed it quite a bit before 
but not really with M. And I was going to say, like in Philadelphia, and I'm sure in most major cities in the U.S., like you have a lot of Muslims, especially like the African American culture. So like a lot of people, when they think of the Muslim, they think of Middle Eastern, but like you come across so many Muslims every day and you don't even realize it, especially in the cities. I'd also like to point out in China, there's a big Muslim community too. A lot of Muslims in China and Southeast Asia, Malay Muslims all over the place. Is it also kind of obvious that, uh, or worth saying that Saeed is probably the most famous professor ever to teach at Columbia? He he taught at Columbia his whole life, basically. There was his like chosen, he could have taught anywhere he wanted, you know, but he liked Columbia. Well, I mean... Out of the dead ones, uh, yeah. But I mean, the live ones, you, we have uh, Phelps, although he's barely Brian, alive. Uh, Brian Green um, is pretty Stiglitz. famous, too. He's old. Stiglitz. I'm sorry. Saeed's um, real famous, though, you know. But, you know, Phelps and Stiglitz both, you know, both have been, well, Phelps got the nod for the Nobel, and, and then Stiglitz, probably not a Nobel, but he's, you know, he's up there publishing all the time the New York Times. And there's been some talk that Obama may accept a position at the Columbia Law School. I don't think he just bought that. But, he just uh, bought that house in California. Yeah, so never mind. Yeah, yeah. library in Chicago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Saeed and Columbia, their reputations are certainly like tied together. You know, I will say that every semester I took a class, I would be like, "Mom, look at these awesome professor I'm taking a class with." She like never gave a shit until George <laughs> Clooney's wife gave that speech, and she's like, "I bet you all the men will be going to that class." I'm like, first of all, you really don't fucking get it." But um, whatever. Anyway, enough said. You'll just go. <laughs> yeah, I was like, they're not. Yeah, okay. Personally, I choose my classes based on how hot the professor <laughs> is. That's what. <laughs> I was like, there's not even enough heterosexual men that would fill up the fucking room. Um, like a true PhD. <laughs> so anyway, Monet is the only character uh, we're discussing today who was created before 9/11, which is what you guys were just talking about. So, in what ways do you think uh, she, Ms. Marvel, and Dust break the stereotype that Jose? wonderfully told us about that Nicholas Pumphrey mentioned in his paper. How do you know that? Well, but wait, wait, let's just start with M. How does M break the stereotype of that? What is it? Orientalism that we were talking about earlier? Like is M on a carpet? No, no, you right, don't, cool. you don't, when you see her, you don't think like what, what maybe like Western people. Might does she remind of- you of that lady from Aladdin? No. Jasmine, Jasmine. Demi Moore. Was that no, Demi Moore? No, she's not flying on a carpet. The, the woman doing the voice of Jasmine? Yeah. I don't think it was Demi Moore. Oh, that was the hunchback of Notre Dame. Sorry. Yeah. Like, Chowder and I were talking about this earlier when we were talking about M and Miss Marvel, Kamala. Like, um, just because they have, like, a Muslim background, like, you think they should fill these stereotypes and they should fit these roles. But in reality, they're just people. Like, they're human beings, which is as cliche as it sounds. But, like, in American culture or West Western culture, um, when you see white people, you assume you just assume they're Christian, quote unquote, but you don't give a shit. You don't care. But like um, when they're Muslim, you're just like, oh, they have to have all these tropes. But like M and Miss Marvel, they don't fill these stereotypes. But so it's kind of like a confusion where you're like, oh, they're just normal. They're normal, like quote unquote, they're normal. And it's just interesting. You expect these tropes from them. But like M, like she's very revealing. Like you don't even realize until like 10 or 15 years after her debut that she's Muslim. So I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I was actually listening to the conversation that um, Alex and Chowder was having. And they were saying how, like, I remember Chowder saying that, why, why are we talking about M when it's like her religion is not really obvious? But that is the point here, that her religion is not obvious, because even if she wasn't a Muslim, it wouldn't matter. She would still be the same. It doesn't really have an impact on who she is. It doesn't change who she is. So I think... I think that's why, that's exactly why she is not a stereotypical 
Muslim character because she's just you you wouldn't be able to even tell that she is a Muslim. So yeah. I'm gonna notice. I always like to out myself for being an idiot on podcasts. But when I was 13 and I read this, I was like, "There are rich people in Algeria." I mean, what the fuck did I know? I'm from Westchester County, New York. Um, but yeah, that was what I thought. I'm just gonna be honest. And I was like, "And she's brown." I'm like, "There are brown people who have money and people in the Middle East, even though it's not the Middle East; it's Africa." I didn't know any of these things. And then I looked it up on, and then that's how X Men made me a genius. I'm just saying. Kind of going more off of what. Anika was saying, I think that M is probably like the strongest character out of everyone because she has the most depth, most backstory, which I think is always better. Um, like in a lot of ways, she has, like we discussed this a lot in the New Mutants with Danny Moonstar too, where we're like, oh, like she's a really strong character, but they kind of built her up differently in the beginning and then it built at the beginning. But it seems like for M, it's always been a very strong character. But I will say that there's always kind of like a catch-22 with it where you're like, how much do I want you to focus on like, the quote like diverse part of your character I think that's always something that people have to contend with because you're like it's great because like if you just read that if you just picked up a random issue you'd probably never think about it and sometimes that's stronger because then it just happens to be a factor of the character and then you're like oh of course um there's also a part that wants like kind of the more Ms. Marvel approach where it like takes it out and says like this is what's happening and I think it's important to have both I would say but I think that there are some really great things with M where it shows the pre 9-11 stuff. Cause even though it feels like it was just like, we're not like the Orientalist narrative and just own that as opposed to stuff that happens. I think post 9-11 has to be more brazen with the fact that it's dealing with it. Cause people I think are unwilling to listen. Whereas I think people back then weren't unwilling to listen in the same way. So I think M was a great example. I think she's probably in some ways the strongest character just cause she's the most integrated into the overall narrative and she has the most interesting stuff going on. I wanted to go off of what um, I think it was Alex was talking about what is quote unquote normal for Muslim characters, really. Um, and I wanted to compare M to Miss Marvel for, for a minute to Kamala. Um, in the beginning of her series, she um, a lot of the time strives for normalcy, which ends up kind of being this like homogenized, a cultural, secular white America. But for Monet, being Muslim is her normal. And um, I say that because when she reveals that she's a Muslim woman in X Factor, she's with Strong Guy. And Strong Guy responds like, oh, really, you are? And she says, of course, like, of course, I'm Muslim. Isn't it obvious? Like, how could you not tell? And I just thought that was a really interesting response because she doesn't do any sort of performance to identify herself as such. She doesn't have any of those stereotypes that, say, pre-9-11 characters did, those Orientalist stereotypes. And um, when Dust came around, you know, she was one of the first characters to come out after 9-11 was Muslim. And with her, you can tell because in the way she dresses and in the way she speaks and she um, performs a lot of her culture and she really identifies as such. And Monet identifies as such, too, but she doesn't explicitly say it. And there's this sort of notion that unless you explicitly state that you are a certain religion or culture, you're automatically assumed to be secular and non-religious and acultural. One of the things I loved so much when we did the New Mutants podcast was that even though sometimes it felt stereotypical, it was really clear that everyone was very different and they like fleshed it out. Whereas I felt like for her, uh, her and a lot of the other ex characters kind of like exhibited the same things. It was like super convoluted backstory, um, like sexy costume like kind of it fell into the same kind of x slot that i didn't really want it to fall into so i would say that i think it's good in the sense that it's normalizing but at the same time you want 
those individual aspects to come out. And those aspects don't even have to be like religious aspects, but there were, there was a part of me that wanted like, I want you to be a little bit more than like just a type. Cause even in some books, she's just a type. They kind of have it be like, Oh, she's like from a rich family and that's her type. So I have to say there is a part of me that kind of following with that wanted more clear cut differences that I didn't quite get. I have to say that I read that page where she came out as a Muslim in X Factor twice because the first time I just noticed the girls were out. I'm just going to be honest because they were out and about. And that's you what mean her titties is what you're talking about. Thank you, Nolan. Yes, I did mean <laughs> that. Yes, I was trying for once to err on the side of um, that comic was very egregious, yes. though. That entire comic, the artist, I don't know who. Like, I thought that the was artist like, was great. I just thought he happened to draw her breasts very out. Not just her, every, <laughs> every woman character in that have, comic. Yeah. It was really yeah, like, see, my assumption was that, oh, this is just the art style at the time. Yeah, yeah. Because I I almost wanted to do like a close reading of that whole page. Like early 2000s? That's right. That even a woman would have that kind of response. But I wonder if we could do like even like a, I mean, I'm not saying we should, but if I, I would just think it would be interesting for someone to do a close reading of that page because it's like, I almost think it's saying something about American culture more than it is saying something about any other culture there. But isn't it cool that this, this Muslim woman is American? Yeah, that's the part I like. Is she though, or is she's Algerian? She's right? Americanized. She's Westernized. I would say. I don't know if she she's, has an accent. She's boobyized. You know? Well, there's <laughs> that too. Yeah. Um, okay. This one. This is totally off topic, but there's this one issue of X Factor where Pip the Troll is like yelling at everybody. If any of you've read this, and then he turns to Monet and he's like, "And zip up your costume. Even I'm tired of looking at you." And like the yeah, rest of the awesome. series, it's like up to her neck. But it's like on the first page of the comic. Who's that? Like, uh, like corporate or electoral strategist who they're consulting with on the first page of the comic? Like, whatever meeting she's having. That person who she's meeting with, she's just like showing them her boobs. Like that's what's going on in the meeting. She's just like, please look at these and I guess feel intimidated or I don't know, you know. But, but why are we talking so why are we talking so much about her? I don't know how much she shows up. Like we don't talk about uh Jen, you know, she Hulk and how much she shows off her body and she's proud of showing off her body. Or, or Psylocke. I talk about she Hulk. I don't I don't read She Hulk. I think uh I think she Hulk. As I said to my roommate when we were discussing this very issue and She-Hulk came up uh, when we were talking about this, like She-Hulk is at her best when she's in a law office, at her worst when she's in the shower, as far as like comics go, you know, like that's... When she slept with Juggernaut, you're referring to? Uh, well, there's a famous like three-part, uh, there's a famous three-part spread of her where the di- di- the divisions between the different panels just cross her nipples and her crotch, and she's in the shower. I remember that. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. She-Hulk. But then there's the She-Hulk that we've become more familiar with, who is like a kind of an unusually comic series in which it's like a courtroom drama, you know, and that's what's mainly going on, and that's like obviously better. Everyone yeah. agrees. Well, I'm, I'm also talking, sorry, I was, I was also talking about like the ninth. so like my big influence is the 90s, so like what they call golden era, so or silver, depending on who you talk to now. But um, so that that Jen Walters was really different than than the one that we know now. Well, yeah, the, the, that that one panel of She-Hulk is from early '90s, I should say, because I read it as a young child, and I and so it must have been mid to early to mid '90s. But um, I think, Kat, you have it right that that was the style of the time. That's also what my roommate said, who really knows a lot about the history of art and comics, like a hell of a lot. Um, and that's well, all. That wasn't I know. that long ago, X Factor. Uh, early two thousand. Really early two thousand. Past couple of years, art has come a long way in the way they depict women, like a long way. So in two thousand ten, 
you know, I have this like, explanation. Marlene, who runs I Like Comics 2 now, she's the editor-in-chief of comics.tumblr.com now. Uh, she did her first interview ever, uh, which we did through my site, which was so crazy, with Dan Slott. And I was just watching the interview yesterday. The footage was lost on my hard drive, and I did one of those undelete things and found it. And in Marlene's first interview ever, Dan Slott is saying that She-Hulk, when she becomes the Hulk, isn't about anger like it is for Bruce Banner, because deep down he's an angry guy. For She-Hulk, it's about like letting being who she truly is, and, and that's kind of like what Jose was talking about a little bit, and being free to be herself. That's definitely the theme in the like last six years too. Like a lot of insecurity about body and truth and right. being yourself. When you look at M and you see like um, her revealing body, I think it's just, I think that in that instance is just the artist, like it was early 2000s, late nineties. I could be wrong. Maybe early 2000s. Early two, I just, I just feel like, it's at, which, uh, no, it's actually 2007 or something. Yeah. 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 Even then though, I just, so, I remember yeah. like being in high school, 2007. Yeah. Even with like, I was reading Ultimate Spider-Man at the time, Mark Bagley or make Bag- Bagley? I don't know. But um, his art style was just like busty women. I think it was just, that's just the art style, which is bad, obviously. But I think it's, I don't think it's a comment on her as a Muslim. I think it's just like exploiting women in general. But doesn't the whole thing become a comment, even if it's by uh, accident? I was going to say, just relating to that directly, I think that also, like, you know, there's that famous kind of comic strip that's like the... Muslim woman looking at the American woman in the bikini and you're looking at the Muslim woman, you're like, I can't believe you're so oppressed by your society. Like, I think that's something that comes to mind when you guys talk about the boobs with the saying, like, I'm Muslim thing. There's something about it that it seems inherently progressive, but also at the same time, it seems like this is the only way we can show progressiveness. Like, I, I always feel mixed about how sometimes you'll objectify a certain type of people. Like, I remember I used to get really mad about they have this like cover girl commercial now for mascara and there's a transgender woman who's like the advocate for it. And I'm like, great. Now we're all free to be objectified, which I kind of hate it, but I understand what is happening. But there's something interesting about M in the sense that it doesn't come into the conversation. It seems like that's like a basic, that's like one of the things I kind of find it frustrating too. Like it's like, it's just a typical ex female character type thing. And I think that that kind of goes hand in hand with it because some things I get frustrated with dust about, I also think, well, that's strong because you try to embrace like this culture in a way that I don't think M at that time like could have, like, I don't think they could have had a serious conversation about veiling at that point. I don't think that we were quite there yet. Whereas I think nine 11 kind of, it, it created a very intense response for those first four years, especially. And then it kind of opened up a conversation that we hadn't had before. I'm, I'm glad that she brought up the, the, the comic strip. Cause I was thinking that it's like it, the damned if you do damned, if you don't, mm-hmm. if you're a woman, you know, if you're covered up, you're upholding one type of oppression. If you're completely disrobed, you're upholding another kind of oppression. And what makes M interesting is that she tackled, and in, in some way, I don't even know if it was conscious from the artist or the writer's uh, point of view, but by saying, you know, of course, it's, it, it goes, well, what, you know, which oppression were you tackling at that moment? So in his paper, Nicholas Pumfrey um says the character of dust was created by grant morrison as a direct response to post 9-11 muslim paranoia however he goes on to describe her as a stereotype does dust perpetuate western stereotypes of muslim characters or does she break the mold when i read about dust today there was definitely a part of me that was kind of like they just i as i said before they had kind of a danny moon style issue in which they were like oh this person's from this area, so we're going to give them a power that relates heavily. Um, and also, I thought it was a little interesting how kind of like 
she spoke in kind of catchphrases that related to her religion a lot of times. So I think it's it's one of those things where it's not that it's bad. I know that Danny used to do that a lot too, and then they kind of flushed it out. But it's definitely a little too on the nose is how I describe it. Okay, no, I, I think, and I said this about Dust on that first podcast that you and I did together, Justin. Um, you know, when I first saw her, it, it kind of made me chuckle because, I mean, she was like in your face, Muslim um, stereotype, right? Like the abaya, the niqab, the fact that her superpower is that she turns into sand and she's from Afghanistan living in a desert. I was like, mm. I think the intention behind her um, was good, but it, just fell right back into the thing that I think it was trying to fight so badly that um, at least for me, it was really difficult to take seriously. And I mean, seriously, in the sense that I felt like it was perpetuating the, I think that the negative aspects of what it is to be a Muslim woman. I mean, first of all, the character itself is female. So that in itself is, is a different depiction. Most of the villains tend to be male and the fact that they're choosing to bring out something positive about the Muslim community through a female, I think is like the complete antithesis of what people perceive the Islamic culture and the religion and the countries and the people. But my problem with it is that they did it in just such a, in such a way that it was actually perpetuating those stereotypes in in, like in a really gross way. Can I ask like what parts struck that for you? The fact that she's supposed to be a superhero and she's noble and, you know, in, in one of the comics, she saves, um, and this was my introduction to her, I think it was a young X-Men, where she saves a village um, of Afghan people in the desert um, from being attacked by the Taliban. So, like, yay, she came out to be the hero. But then when, you know, she's not fighting villains, she's like this meek, quiet, trying to hide, which is not an accurate depiction. I mean, yes, people from the West think this, that if a woman is in a hijab or if she's in an abaya, that, you know, she is trying to hide from something. And I think that's not, and mind you, I, I, I used to practice Islam. I'm not a practicing Muslim now. So when I, when I was raised um, as a Muslim in Pakistan, I knew that as a woman, I was supposed to be modest but that's really all that it defines, right? Like it doesn't really go beyond that. It doesn't say that I have to be covered from head to toe. And, you know, my point earlier about even Islam, the way that it's practiced really varies across the Muslim countries. Um, And that's not to say that there's an inconsistency in the religion. It means that there's an inconsistency with how those particular communities are interpreting the Quran and its application. Um, you know, in Saudi Arabia, you have, you know, it be law that women are covered head to toe, not visible at all when they're out in public. But in my country, for example, that was not the case. Like you're not supposed to go out in a bikini, but you know, I'm using extremes here as to get my point across, but that, that was in one way, which it really struck out to me. And it still strikes a chord with me now that it's unfortunate that, you know, there's this hero that's coming forward and showing this antithesis of what a Muslim woman is thought to be. And that's supposed to be a good thing. But then She's also this, still this quiet, meek creature. And that, I think, is a false representation. The thing I raised my hand to mention was one of the things you mentioned, that like um, the full head to toe, everything but the eyes covering is like a specific thing, which is uh, specifically Wahhabist. You know, like that is what like they have promoted as like a legal requirement in Saudi Arabia 
and that it was and the Wahhabist movement was like you know held up by the Saudis who in turn were allies with the West you know and that this is like part of the reason that that example has power is that Western countries propped up that regime you know the character I think it was definitely written for a good intention you know she's she's strong she's caring and all that but I think the character just suffers from the perspective of a foreign writer, you know, and that just shows on the pages. I agree with what uh, Chowder just said about dust suffering from being written by writers who do not know uh, that kind of character's experience. Like with Miss Marvel, you have Sana Aminat and G. Willow Wilson, who are both Muslim women. So they have their own experience from where Kamala is coming from. Uh, I, I agree. Dust was coming from a good place. Grant Morrison wanted to introduce this character who was a representation of somebody that we don't normally get in comics. Um, but there is trouble with portraying a character that you don't know her culture about because people have such a narrow perception of what Islam is and what Muslim people are like. So to kind of perpetuate those tropes and those stereotypes also perpetuates the wrong idea of what this entire culture is. Just came from like a positive place, like Grant Morrison, like very liberal, probably had good intentions. But um, I think the issue is that like when you have a token character like this, no matter what perspective you uh, start from, and we'll probably get into this with Ms. Marvel. Um, you're always going to say like, well, like that doesn't represent everybody. What's the issue of a token character? There's only one person on the team that represent her or one person. And like, even there's like, literally we're talking about three people in the Marvel universe. There's like over 500 characters to look at, but like only three of them represent the Muslim community. So I think you're always going to have issues with like what they're representing when there should be multiple characters that represent everything. I would just want to piggyback what Amna said. I am also from a culture that's very um, similar to Pakistan, where it is not necessarily required of us to be covered from head to toe. But I think that with this character, what they were, what the, the message was that they're not necessarily a threat. I know that when you see um, a person covered head to toe in abaya and niqab, usually people are scared. They think that. They're in danger. I remember seeing a video, I, which was probably staged, but it was it was a video of a woman covered head to toe, and she wanted to just keep her bag with somebody in the party. Like she she wanted somebody to look after her bag, and everybody was really rude with her. They were like, "No, I can't. I can't trust you. How can I? Like you could be a criminal or something." And when another woman who was like a regular Western woman said the same thing, she was. They did not react to her the same way. So I think that the whole point of having her covered head to toe is just to give the message that no matter how religious they are, no matter how they're dressing, they are not a threat. I think there's also part of like of our desires, you know, because there's there we want them to be progressive and there's there's part of it that wants to to reject it's like, well, why does she, if she, you know, if, she, if she's a superhero and she's, and she seems to identify with a lot of Western ideas, why this, is she doing this? And, it, you know, it's, it's being able to separate culture from religion, from political leanings, from all these different spheres that, you know, all, they all inform each other into one way or another. And some, in some spheres inform each other more than others. But I think there's nothing wrong with having her be a Muslim 
and be what we consider to be a traditional Muslim, because in a lot of countries that is a traditional Muslim. Because this is not, this is sound like a blast. It's not a blast at all. I don't see her as being token at all. I actually see her as being representative of of a particular group of people who haven't had representation. Despite the qualms that I could have about representation, I think it's always important sometimes to have it because I think about like stereotypical representations I saw when I was younger of like gay men. And like, even though those, like I look back now and I think, oh, that was really like just a bad stereotype. It definitely played into the fact that I never for a second doubted their existence or equality. So I think the same can apply in that sense in that sometimes when you get like at least a chance to look at it once or twice and you're younger, it always helps you come to terms with it as you get older. Um, Chrissy Tien told me this great story about how in uh, Hulk in the old days, um, Hulk was hit on by a gay man in the bathroom and it fucked him up so badly that he couldn't transform into Hulk to kill him that that gayness was such an evil that it stopped him from becoming hulk i, I don't want to deter from what you just no, go said for it. That, was just that, a, that was a pretty powerful statement that was just an add-on um, i just um i want to go back to something that jose said about dust being a representation of you know a certain type of person i don't agree with that uh, sorry i do agree with that point um no argument there I think the problem for me at the time was that there was no other um, comparison. So now with like Kamala Khan, for example, you have these two um, strong female Muslim superheroes who are showing two very different sides of what it is to be a Muslim woman. And I think now because we have that representation, it is more easier for me to digest like the stereotype that I saw in Dust. But when she was just by herself without Kamala there, for example, it was a little off-putting for me personally. And you don't think that M served as like another anchor point for, for Dust character? I was not familiar with M at the time. So keep, do keep that in mind as well. Yeah, this is just my, my own personal perspective on it. And, and to her point, I mean, it, I guess it all, we all come at comics from, from different points. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Canon, um, depending on like the, the one guy, the, 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 what I call pseudo academic paper on, on Canon, um, you know, what you consider Canon very much, it depends on where you start reading comics. And also keep in mind with M, um, you know, we discussed this a little bit earlier, the fact that she is Muslim was not really put out there the same way that it was put out there with Dust and with Kamala. Those are their defining characteristics. And with Dust, it almost comes before her superhero ability. That's true. And I will say that M, too, is speaking a lot of French when she first starts. And, you know, as a young kid, I was like, it's a lot of French. No, okay. Just thought no, I, I, I didn't catch your question. Sorry. I know. So you're saying that she kind of p- plays more as like French. Right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> which I know is a well, as I've come to an adult to learn that that's an effect of colonization. But at the time, I, I that's what I noticed. So like when M announced that she was Muslim, it was quote unquote obvious because she points out how it should have been obvious. But do you think that was the original intention of her character? Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, I I, haven't, I didn't read her in the '90s, so I don't yeah. know. No, no, because you're a big generation expert. I think it's clear that she's sort of filling the role of the like new rich of the Muslim world in the early 90s, you know, when it's being published. And that's oh my gosh, like, I can't wait till we do a Generation a certain, oh, sorry. Until you can't wait until we do a Generation X podcast. Yeah, because Generation X shattered stereotypes. Because look, you've got an Asian character who's like the slacker and a female. You've got a female leader of the team. 
you've got a guy who has no chin or chest, and I really didn't like, I like him, him a because lot, he had no chin or chest. I love his I variation like, I on psychic powers. Yeah, I was just like, I can't, I can't get into you. You have no chin or chest. I'm like, I, I have things to do today. He's like Neil Gaiman, but he's a comic book character, and he's not modeled. He just looks a little like him. With a I loved Generation X from what was assigned to us. So, oh my if god, happened, please count he's me not in. a he's not oh a god, we totally that. And, you know, dwell on him too. I much. love Husk from Generation X because cool when she has sex with Archangel in the sky and her mom watched, has, and her mom didn't has, seem bothered by it. That's a bad plot. This line. Feels very deja vu. <laughs> it feels, yeah, I know. I talked about it last podcast. We all agreed that's a bad plot line. I know, but Jamie, wasn't that awesome when that happened? That was the one awesome yeah. part in that whole comic. That was the drama was real, and that moment really brought it to the forefront. Whom Frey says, uh, to accept an origin story of a certain comic book character often means not acknowledging the historical context in which the narrative was written. I love this. Very similar to the theological readings of the Quran and Bible. When we look back at the origins of characters like Monet, Dust, and Ms. Marvel, do we see any connections between the historical context and their characters? I see a very strong connection between the context, at least of Ms. Marvel, um, because I think that, I mean, at that point, I remember like the year that that comic book came out, I was taking a class in college called Women in Islam. And it was all about like, kind of a, I mean, it was kind of a response to like the Barbara Bush response where she was like, take off your veils and we'll save you. So I think that in some ways, Ms. Marvel represents like a, an attempt by the West to like understand and like, go to people who are actual Muslim and talk about this as opposed to like where there are all these white women feminists being like, you don't know what you're talking about and like, we're going to help you out. So to me, as Ms. Marvel is a great example of the way that at that point in time, we were trying to apologize for all the bad stuff we had done post 9-11. Like I think Marvel was really smart with that book when they brought it out and who they had working on it. So for me, I see that book especially as one where I can see the historical context, even though it's so close to us right now, I can see it in that moment. Yeah, I was going to say, I think maybe for Dust, because it wasn't Dust sort of like the response from Grant Morrison from post 9 11 kind According of According to Pumfrey, yes. Yeah. So, historical context where I, w- I, would, I would say Dust. When I was reading M in uh, the 90s as a 13, 14 year old, and then I started looking up stuff about this culture, I was like, oh, okay, does, and looking now looking back at when I was looking that stuff up, I think of M as sort of like a response to the gains and wealth that the upper class made in in Algeria and Tunisia at the time. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say that um, Kamala has become a really prominent superhero, like even a hero in real life for our political climate today. There is that one instance of those um, Islamophobic bus advertisements and then somebody like graffitied over it or just like painted over it with um, Kamala to combat that. So she's kind of transcended her own comic book to fight racism and Islamophobia in our real life, in our real world. It's interesting, right? To I, I tend to live in a world of fences. So you, I look at the, on the one side of the fence, you have, you have to consider context. You have to consider the voice of the people. And I guess, you know, the zeitgeist, the, the, the conscious of the people, the, what's going on at the moment. But then you also have to be careful with cultural relativism, right? The idea that, that slavery was okay because back then they thought it was okay. And it's ne- it should never be okay. So the idea that Dust was a response or any, any, actually any of the three characters, except for M, but the other two characters being a response to 
our feelings towards women or our feelings towards women in the Muslim world, it's still considering the idea of our feelings, you know, as men or as the Western world. And it's funny because in talking about our feelings about women or our feelings about women in, the, in that world, we're not actually listening to the voice of women or the voice of Muslim women. That's kind of going back to the comic strip that uh, Jamie brought up earlier, which is, you know, which, which oppression are you talking about? Are you talking about the oppression of, of being clothed, the, the oppression of having to be unclothed, or the oppression of having to talk about it at all? So nearly 14 years after 9-11, Marvel developed a more complex Muslim superhero um, who does not necessarily fit a stereotypical world, true or false? It's both. Same, yeah, I would agree. Both? You mean you can... Things can be two things at once? Never. Uh, you can debate both sides, I think. If we're, I think we're, we're talking about Miss Marvel here, yes? Talking about everybody. For everybody. Okay. I, would, I would say Miss Marvel, though. Yeah, That's I was, what I was, I was thinking Miss Marvel because, yeah, true in a way that it breaks that she's not your typical sort of representation of a Muslim character. Okay, cool. Uh, she's not wearing or you know covering herself and that she's stuck between the Western side and the, her culture side. But it, it could all, you can also debate that's false that why does her parents have to be, since they're Muslim, why are they so strict and all that stuff? I'm, I'm, I know Muslim parents that are not strict like the ones in, like they come off as like the, the ones that my cousin's parents are like, just like that. So it, you know, not all Muslim parents are strict like the way it's depicted in the book. So it can hang, be debated. Hang on. Sorry, Jamie, if you don't mind, I want to jump in really quickly. Chowder, sorry, are you, are you from a Muslim family? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, so consider this. When you say parents are not strict, you're talking about with boys, right? Because let me tell you, with girls, it's different. And as a woman who grew up in families like that, the situation with my brother, who is younger than me, I'm the oldest, was hell of a lot different than it ever was for me. And the justification that was always given was the rules are different for him because he's a boy. He will tell you to this day because we still fight about this. He never thought that my parents were strict or anything. Oh, man, they were so laid back. They were this. Meanwhile, my life was hell. I had to fight for everything because I was a girl or am a girl, woman, whatever. I I I totally (laughs) agree with what you just said. Yeah, same. Like, yeah, definitely. Like, I think my sister had it way harder than, you know, I did. Okay, thanks for recognizing that. No, yeah, definitely. But yeah. (laughs) one of my favorite things about the Ms. Marvel iteration is um, the fact that like, I think that I've seen this, I also saw this in Moana where there's this kind of aspect of like, I don't hate my parents. I don't hate my culture. I'm just frustrated with like the things that I want to do that I can't do um, because of it. And so I think that's one of the better things about the whole book in general. And I think it's a popular thing that's kind of coming into play for a lot of different cultures, but especially this one, that was like one of my favorite things. It definitely doesn't fit a stereotypical world. Like, especially like her father will sit her down sometimes and he won't even be mad. He'll just be like, why are you doing this? It worries me. And like, it's still stuck in kind of a bad place, but it's a more natural understanding kind of conversation as opposed to like, you're grounded forever and I won't talk to you. Um, so I really like that part. I think it's more humanizing, more relatable, mm-hmm. I think, right? Because who hasn't had a conversation, regardless of your background, um, similar to that with their parents? You're Amen. doing X, Y, and Z and it's concerning me. No, me. I mean, I have it. Okay, well, I'm not saying that everybody <laughs> fits into that mold. I'm saying that it's something that is more relatable than, um, I think, mm. something that is depicted in a way in which a regular audience 
sorry, a regular non-Muslim audience would look mm-hmm. at it and say, I, I don't, I know that I'm supposed to understand something about this person and their culture and their background, but I cannot relate to it on a human level. Whereas I think mm-hmm. what you said is completely humanizing and relatable. Yeah. I also have to say, I think that there was a lot of just general immigrant feelings here because a lot of the things that Ms. Marvel was talking about are a lot of things that my dad has told me that he felt. And so what's, 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 what's funny? Immigrant feelings. Just oh, sorry. That, um, hashtag immigrant feelings. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, how can I say that better? I kind of like immigrant feelings. Feelings that immigrants have. A lot of, yeah. It's like a Maury talk show. <laughs> You are not the father. (laughs) No, but I think that, um, you know, a lot of the things that I saw them discussing and a lot of the issues that Kamala faces is a lot of things that, you know, my dad faced and my mom faced when they came here. And I know know for a fact about my dad because he talks about them a lot. And I think he would really, really relate to that. All right, cool. So let's talk about Ms. Marvel a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, the comic takes absolutely no time into getting into her whole culture and the Muslim thing. So... Uh, the very first page and the first issue has her looking at some bacon. She's contemplating eating it. She's enjoying the smell. I thought this was endearing personally, but in the context of what this podcast is about, how did you guys react to the scene? It's something I could personally relate to, honestly. <laughs> like I was just like, oh my God. Yeah, I you don't eat pork, it. right? Even though Delicious you're Delicious no infidel meat. <laughs> <laughs> when I first came here, I was, yeah, I was Muslim. And then I'm like, what is this pork thing? And, you know, when I first tried bacon, um, I'm not going back. I'm sticking with life change. <laughs> it's it's Can amazing. We just point out, Chowder had the same experience Ms. Marvel had today because he was like, "What is all these mimosas? What is a mimosa?" And he's had two. You peer pressured me. That's all. Did you think I peer pressured him? Show me the totally No, I wasn't even in the room. It's, it's delicious. I watched and listened to you peer pressure. Oh, you're so no. I have witnesses. It started while I was in the bathroom, but I could hear it. You're happening just traumatized from the, from the time I peer okay, pressured all right. you. Okay. Anyway, Anika. Yeah, I think it was a it was really relatable for me. I remember in school, um, they were serving lunch and they were serving pizza and pepperoni. peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, pepperoni pizza. And I hated peanut butter and jelly, but that was the alternative for people who didn't want the pizza. And I wanted the pizza so bad, but they didn't give it to me because they knew that I'm a Muslim and I was really frustrated. And I, I could smell the pizza and I really just wanted to have it. And ever since then, even though I'm not really a strict Muslim, it's kind of the values that you have as a child. Like, okay, I'm not I'm supposed to stay away from it. So there's people who just freak out when I tell them that I never tried bacon. They're like, oh my God, you're missing out on a whole world. You should totally try bacon. No, that's what, how people react to me people when I say I never. bacon culture too. Overrated. And there's a bacon yeah. shortage you're in mis- You're missing apparently. out. No, people yeah, react overrated. to me the same way when I'm like, I never saw Star Wars. I never saw Harry Potter. People are like, oh my, this, I really? told this guy I never saw Star Wars and he almost threw you're himself not, out the window. You're not alone with that. I never saw Star Wars thing I mean, I had things to do. I had things to do. Like read X-Men. First off, your school should have served beef pepperoni. It's bullshit. They did it. It's not the same. It's it's close enough. Boo. It's close enough. Um, close enough to bacon, though. Right? No, to regular pepperoni. <laughs> it's like basically the same thing. But um, this is embarrassing. I already forgot what I was going to say. So move on. No, it's cool. I think everyone needs to know where their pepperoni comes from. Uh, if there's one thing people can take away from this, it's you know get some pork pepperoni. Oh, right? I know what you're going to say. I know. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I remember what I was going to say originally was um. It's kind of like a stereotype or a true whatever where like you see a, a woman who's Muslim and she's like, oh, I wish I could eat that product, but I can't because it's against my religion. I think that's like 
it's just showcasing one aspect of um, her life. Because, like, I mean, I grew up with a lot of Jewish people who were kosher, and that comes up all the time. You see it with vegetarians who are like, oh, I'm going to smell the pork that you're eating, but I, I can't eat it. But, like, I think that's just a relatable thing. To go with my fellow Philadelphian is the, the idea that every group, you know, there, there's a certain group of people out there that, you know, whether it's religious belief or it's just custom or it's preference or, you know, medical necessity, they cannot partake of what other people can partake. And it's not just food, you know, it's physical disability. It's all kinds of different things. I mean, can you imagine someone who's blind who so, you know, I wish I knew what blue was. Oh, the, the idea, sorry, I went, I went deep and dark. Just broke but, my heart. <laughs> but the general idea that you can experience that to a certain extent with a character who's going, oh, wait, there are people who don't do this. Oh, wait, there are people who cannot do this. And being presented as, as something that's acceptable and not something that you make fun of is also something that's really important. As we move forward in our read of Ms. Marvel, um, there was a really great issue that Anika um, suggested to all of us that took place in Karachi, where Kamala is treated as kind of famous. And I was wondering how everyone felt about the way the creative team depicted Karachi. Um, and if anyone has any personal experience in the city, do you think that rang true? Yes, I definitely think that the portrayal of Karachi, even though I'm not from Karachi, I'm from um, the city, um, Taka of Bangladesh. But I think it was very accurate because whenever I visit Bangladesh, I am treated like this celebrity, I'm this American star, and they they don't see me as Bengali. They see me as totally Americanized, whereas with people in America, they see me as Bengali. And I remember Kamala was telling her grandmother that I feel like I'm too brown for Americans and too American for brown people. I, that was so relatable. I could relate to that on a spiritual level. I, I can kind of relate to that. And for me, it was a bit of a an identity crisis earlier in my life. You know, being an immigrant, you neither belong there nor here any longer. So how do you figure out who you are, who your people are? And at least for me personally, it's had a profound impact on on me and in my life. And it's made me really treasure my relationships that much more because for some reason, I feel like I'm not deserving of them. And I know that's like a personal problem. It's rooted in, in that experience. I talk to my cousins back home, for example, they speak to me as if I'm just something otherworldly. And the perception is that because you live in this country where you've had this opportunity to turn your life around, and I come from a poor family, you know, we're, we're not wealthy at all. But that's something that they all aspire to have and they all aspire to be. But here, people look at me and it's very clear that I'm from someplace different. It's slightly unrelated, but I really wanted to mention it because uh, I related to it a lot when I read that in issue number 12. I'm Hispanic, but I don't, I look like a white girl, so not a lot of people know that. But um, <laughs> um, I have family in Chile. That's where my mom is from. So I lived there for a couple years and like I visit all the time. But every time I go, I'm always referred to as the American. And I'm like, no, guys, I'm from here. So when I read that in this issue or when Kamala goes to Pakistan, I, it really resonated with me because I'm like, oh, I feel that. Like, I've been there. So I think that speaks to another level in which Kamala is so relatable that her comic addresses those kinds of experiences. And I think that it, it, it goes beyond just her own experience. And a lot of people have felt that way, myself included. Just so that's a little, you know, it's a little different, but um, I, I really felt it when I read that. Uh, just as a Quick question. So anybody ever play the game uh, Civilization? Uh, yeah. I, I know it. 
you're, you're familiar with it. So there is it, civilization is essentially it's a war game um, where you know you you pick a civilization. You can pick the Egyptians or you know or you can pick the British or whatever, and and you can achieve victory in much of different ways. So you can militarily just pummel your opponent by building an army, or you can do an economic victory by essentially controlling the world market or whatever. But there's a cultural type of victory that can be won, and essentially it's when all the other civilizations adopt your ways of doing things. So like your language becomes a dominant language and, and your music becomes the most popular and, and your literature becomes the one that everyone goes towards. And this experience that we're all talking about, it, it always reminds me that of that particular game because there is something about American culture that has been exported to so many different parts of the world and that it, it is so dominant. And that when, when you are connected to it, you're, you're part of it. Because when I go back, when I haven't been back, back to Colombia in a very long time, but there's a power to it. The idea that you are part of that culture, there's a power to the idea that you speak the language, that you speak English, that people, I don't want to say revere because that sounds like, you know, like, like adulation, but there's a certain amount of respect that goes along with it as if the U.S. has achieved a cultural victory over the rest of the world. But at the same time, that also separates us from those people that we say we come from in some ways, the negative stereotypes of like the flamboyant, loud, you know, you think you're all that American. And then it separates you in the other sense, because you, the people who, who you identify with in that land, they don't really so much identify with you. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Jamie, when we were in Philly, I was sitting outside with Christine and this, I forget who interviewed him. And I forgot the person's name, which I feel really bad about, who was interviewed. But he came outside. He was like, yeah, I just did this interview with some comics rich people. You guys are really awesome. We started talking about, um, like, Hispanic characters in comics. And I talked about Cecilia Reyes, who's an X-Men character who's supposed to be Puerto Rican, but she's really just has no Spanish qualities, like, whatsoever. And, I don't know, we got into this whole thing about how, because my father came here when he was really young and tried so hard to be American that I was doing so much stuff to try to feel connected to where, because I felt like I was never from anywhere because, you know, he had disconnected me from the place where, you know, my family was from. And I was like, God, I wish I, I, wish I was raised with so, so much more of the culture. And the guy looked at me and he's like, you are the culture. It doesn't matter. He's like, it's, it's still you. And he's like, so many people have a similar story to you. You know, all that matters is that, you know, you're there, you keep ties, you know, whether it's in your mind or with your family to where you're from and, and stay true to who you are, and that's what matters. Amen. Mm -hmm. Preach. Uh, I've always felt that Ms. Marvel's um, story had a lot of parallels to kind of Spider-Man's story um, in the original comics, and I wondered, like, what ways do you think that Camilla's story kind of mirrors that kind of storytelling with the sneaking out, the secret identity, and in what ways does it kind of update it and make it different and better? Um, I think, like, her character and Peter Parker's it kind of touches upon the theme of identity, you know, sort of these two characters at first, they feel kind of lost. They want to find out who they are and, you know, they don't fit in. And what's interesting from the papers I've read, you know, if you look at Peter Parker in high school, you know, he would get, you know, picked on because he's a nerd or a geek or, you know, he likes science stuff where Kamala, she would get picked on because of her sort of her religion, the people she hangs out with because, you know, they have, head covers and all that. 
yeah, you know, just uh, Peter Parker and Kamala Khan, they were both, you know, the nerdy kids in school. They just wanted to fit in. They got picked on all the time. And then they both get these powers. And then, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. But what's so great about Kamala and a lot of new heroes that have come about lately is that um, with Peter Parker, and it's true with a lot of other um, white male heroes, is that, you know, they were power fantasies. But Kamala is a power fantasy for people who aren't white males you know the people for for people of color and and women and little girls you know get to read her comics and feel that they too can you know have that have that moment where they're the hero obviously miss marvel kamala she's like a muslim but like i think this is a good representation for women in general where like spider-man was written like what like 50 years ago in the 60s like it's way overdue but like just as she is in high school like she is just like the parallel for women compared to spider-man and I think like her popularity in the last three years has like showcased that. Like she's already like a, an Avenger and she's like a very relevant character, which is amazing. Peter was sort of like selfish first. Like when he, you know, became sorry, he wanted money. Oh, yeah. That. Like, yeah. yeah, like he okay, wanted. Kamala's a better person yeah. than Peter Parker. Peter well, Parker's an he, asshole. To, like his, his uncle had to die in order for yeah. him to like. He was a greedy guy. Oh, you know, yeah, I got to be Spider-Man. I got to stop crime where Kamala is more of she turns into Miss Marvel and I think and, I think with Kamala like she wanted to be a superhero too yeah, like she wrote, she was, the, she wrote yeah, the fan fiction right. she was like, a fan before she was fan. like this is and I think I don't know if anybody here has read like her um, stuff in the Avengers series but like you can tell she's been like researching or writing about being a superhero because like she immediately takes leadership and again like that's it's, it's so awesome to see that um in comic books because it's usually male dominated. And the fact that like she has her own series, like it's, it's incredible. So kind of like what Anika said earlier about living her dream, would you say Kamala was given the opportunity to live her dream? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I did want to interject a moment ago because I got really excited um, that when Kamala's series was first announced, a lot of people, you know, you know, like had this negative response, like, oh, it's pandering, blah, blah. But then when her series was released, she got her first issue, got what, seven printings, which is nearly unheard of. And now she's sort of, uh, well, she was uh, released with the imprint um, or when they rebranded as all new Marvel now, is that right? Mm -hmm. And she kind of, she became like, like Axel Alonso did her and she has referred to her as the, um, as the flagship character for all new Marvel now. And that's huge. It's amazing. Um, well, then going off of that, since we're all talking about how great she is, um, final question is, what are your favorite moments of Ms. Marvel? And what were the moments that blew you away? A, a lot of my favorite Kamala moments come when she is struggling to accept that she is good enough to wield the mantle of Miss Marvel. A lot of the times early in the issue, she thinks that she has to look like somebody like Carol Danvers to be that person. But then she has these moments where she decides, no, I'm I am enough for who I am and I'm going to be the best Kamala Khan that I can be. And I am enough to be Miss Marvel. And I really love that. And I also love that Kamala will stand up for anything, even if it means standing against her own personal heroes. And she always fights for the greatest good. She's my favorite superhero. (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorite moments was what Kat just mentioned. um, When she first became Miss Marvel and she did not look like herself. She was this blonde girl and it was a reflection of how she felt about herself. She felt like she was not good enough the way she was. And I remember writing in my open letter that you made me realize that I don't have to change my color or my religious 
refuse to be an influential figure to the world. So I think that particular sequence of the comic is very powerful when she realizes that she was not being able to be the best version of herself when she was somebody else. One of my favorite moments was actually in the first issue whenever at the very end when she like gets her gets her wish. I always thought that that set up a really great theme like in the scene where Ms. Marvel's like, I'm going to give it to you, but I want you to know that it's not going to be anything like what you think you want. Um, like, I think that's a great theme where she's always wanting something different. And then she realizes that like she had the answer always. I think that's a great theme. So I think that moment, even though it's not like necessarily focusing on her, I think that moment just formats the whole series in a way that I love. For me, I really like the small parts of the comic series. Like when it involves a lot of family talk, when they have the dinner, because it's very relatable, I guess, you know, why you shouldn't go to parties, you know, boys and alcohol and drinks and whatnot. But you just see her kind of rebelling in her own way. So that's kind of cool to see. Her parents also, you know, they try to be supportive. They, You know, her mom goes to her and asks her, you know, you can be open with me, you know, what's in your mind. But deep down, she, uh, Kamala knows that, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know how to tell you or explain to you what I'm feeling. So that's sort of kind of relatable, I would say. So, so the small moments, I think, are kind of impactful in their own ways. That's interesting um, hearing that come from uh, a male perspective on a female superhero, especially one that's supposed to be as progressive as Kamala. This has just been cooking in the back of my head because, I mean, we know that Rogue ended up with her powers because, you know, she she absorbed them from Miss Marvel. And how much of a villain Rogue would have been because Rogue was not considered a villain. You know, she was, you know, she came in as being a good guy. That's how she was introduced. But I can imagine if Rogue would not have been uh, a Southern white belle, if she would have stolen Miss Marvel's powers, how she might, she would have easily been typecast as a, as a bad person. Well, I think there's also something to the idea of like, it's both of these characters that we're discussing. What happened if all of a sudden you found yourself with the power cosmic, you know, like, it's not like Jean Grey where, you know, she becomes the, the deranged Phoenix. I, most of us don't think that we would do that. You know, it's interesting to think, think that that happens to Jean Grey. But what would happen if all of a sudden you could lift up a car and throw it, you know, throw it around? Um, I have some people I'd visit. <laughs> right? and, 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 and that's how we get some characters. But then I, I think a, a lot of people are like, wow, um, I don't know. Like we dream about it. But when you really sit down and go, no, seriously, really, what would you do? You're like. I don't know. Yeah, and I think that's why, like, it's so interesting when you have these different origins. Like, you look at Peter Parker, where becoming a superhero was not on his mind. So, like, when he got the powers, he was kind of a jerk. He was trying to make money, reasonably, by the way, because he was on the wrestling. Lower. Yeah, like, makes sense. He, dude, he was poor, but it's just interesting. Like, he wasn't thinking about it, so he wrestled as he was trying to make money. Like, got the killer go by, killed Uncle Ben, blah blah blah. But his Uncle Ben dying is the reason he became a superhero. But then you have a character like Miss Marvel where she literally wrote fiction to try to be, a, or not to try to be a superhero. She wanted to be a superhero so badly. She like thought about what it meant, blah, blah, blah. And then when she finally was um, able to become a superhero, she like um, absorbed the mist or whatever happened in the first issue. She immediately acted like a heroine. Like she did everything correctly. And you see that two years later, like she joins the Avengers. She's one of the most prominent characters in Marvel. And it's so cool seeing that, but like to go off your point where like, you just don't know how any of us will react because you have Peter Parker who like 
was selfish at first, and then it took a traumatic experience to become a hero. But yeah, Kamala knew immediately to be a hero. She did everything correctly by the book. She looks up to her idols. When her idols disagree with her values, she like thinks about it, as you see in Civil War Two, um, and then she adjusts accordingly. Like she's just like was ready for it. And we can go over every other character who's a hero and like how they adjusted to that. But um, yeah. No, I, um, I, I think Alex, you, you make some really good points, um, but I, I can't help but also think about um, Peter Parker's background and um, Kamala's background, family relations. You know, Peter Parker was living with his aunt and uncle, whereas Kamala has her mom and dad still in her life. Peter Parker's responding to a great tragedy and, Kamala is compared to Peter is coming from a peaceful place and is just really making a decision about what's next in her life, much like a teenager would. Do I go to college? Do I go to this place? Do I do this with my life? Versus Peter's like, my whole world's been turned upside down and I need to make a decision on how I'm going to cope and move forward. I just kind of want to want your thoughts on if you think that makes any big of a difference and if it makes one more compelling um, than the other. I think that, I don't know, you can look at it multiple ways. Like, Look at Miss Marvel. She, you can argue she had the freedom to like relax and like go into her hobbies and like that letter to her fan fiction and like thinking of being a hero. And then you look at Peter, where if you looked at him growing up, he probably was like a good human being. He was a good person. Uncle Ben was obviously like instilling good advice. Um, and I think that tragic experience is the reason he became a hero. And I think if Uncle Ben survived and, he, and Peter Parker had those powers, I don't think he'd be on the same path he has now versus uh, Kamala. Like um, Kamala, I mean, she is just, I think, was meant to be a hero. And even if she didn't get those powers, I feel like she would be the type that would like be protesting, be donating to like Planned Parenthood and Goodwill and like. No, I know it's cliche. I'm just saying, like, do assuming she had a regular lifestyle, like she's the type, she's a good natured person without any traumatic experience. And not to say that Peter Parker is not good natured. I think it he's the type that we're like he needs that trigger to do it versus uh, Kamala, where she's just a good natured person and she utilizes her powers to the max. He would have just gone to MIT and he would have been fine. I actually, I have a question for, for Kat. So like, cause it's funny that uh, Justin brought it up cause it's a conversation that he and I have had on, on the side, but um, the, the lack of Hispanic characters is, is one of the things that we haven't discussed, but do you think that having a female Hispanic character um, like Kamala, um, you know, would that, is like if, if someone said, hey, we're printing a female Hispanic superhero and she's going to have her own series, would you rush out and get it? Or would you try to meet it with a little skepticism saying, oh, they're trying to pander or they're trying to, you know, create a token? Like, what would be your reaction? I would be like, hell yeah. And I'm happy you mentioned that because I don't know if you know um, America, America Chavez. She's getting her own series. Oh, really? And it's written by Gabby Rivera. And I'm so excited. It's so, so good. I, I really do. I really do like. I want more characters like that. Like it was recently I was trying to think of, you know, how many Hispanic characters are there? And it was, I was kind of struggling to come up with really like a substantial list. And I mean, there are a lot of really prominent ones, but not as, as many. And um, I, I always feel like that's one um, demographic that's really not represented a whole lot is Hispanic characters. So, I mean, yeah, I would, hell yeah, I would run out and get that. So like Stanley, because it was one of the things that was mentioned in the in that paper, like Stanley says that he will do anything to make a buck. Yeah. yeah. So do you think that he would you feel some type of way 
and going, well, you know, he's just trying to, you know, make money off of me, off of my demographic. Mm. Would the thought cross even cross your mind? I think today, no. I think if it were um, maybe a couple of years back, I would think that it was pandering or, you know, trying to like sell out to a specific demographic. But I think um, lately there's this huge effort to diversify comics a lot, whether it's through characters or the writers and artists. I think like if it were in the past, it would have, the thought would have crossed my mind. But now I'm like, oh, this is just like the natural progression. This is like the obvious next step is now we're going to introduce more Hispanic characters because there's that, there's that a conscious effort for that to happen. I think Miles Morales, Morales. yeah, he kind of helped in a in a way. I think because yeah. being like half Hispanic and then half, yeah. And I think people, I think people overlook that a lot. They're like, oh, it's it's um Spider Man and he's black, but it's like, oh no, but he's he's Puerto Rican yeah, too. Right. He's both. He's fifty. Yeah. yeah. And um, going off what you said, Cat, like um, I don't think it's pandering, but I think like you have to acknowledge that like Marvel or DC or any comic company is um a company and like they're trying to make money. But I also think like it's also a response to like where our society has been going, where we thank God we as a culture acknowledge that not everybody's f-ing white. So you want to represent these characters. And like, I think that's where it can get confused with pandering. We're like, oh, well, like people are asking for it. So you're just pandering to them. But it's like sort of. Yeah. But at the same time, like people want to buy this and people are buying it. And I think that's why you've seen Miles Morales and Miss Marvel being such prominent characters like they're both have their own series that are selling in the top 50 and then you have them in the Avengers as well. So I just think that is just a response to what the culture has been asking for. Mm-hmm. So, so question for everyone. Um, what do you think the trigger would be? Cause I mean, and we, we've been talking about the triggers of what led us to this, you know, this Muslim female becoming popular and, and having her own series and becoming the, the flagship title. So what do you think would be the trigger for for Hispanic or actually for any other kind of minority to get a spotlight? I think it would be um, a political movement. I mean, and I think, you know, we're probably on our way there with this whole talk of, you know, building the wall. And now and now a lot of Mexican immigrants and Mexican people are in the spotlight. And I think a good reaction to that would be to introduce a Mexican hero that is as prominent as as Dust was and as Kamala is. I think the time is now for that, honestly. Mm. It's. Yeah, I think. No, but I'm I got, like worked up because I just read that there's an immigration checkpoint in Los Angeles. Like, oh my God. Are you it's so bad. There've got to be like Spanish language and maybe even Cuban published comics that could be drawn upon here. Like, this wouldn't be the first time that a comics company has like used a character from a company that they bought. And Marvel can afford to like buy the rights to any given character ever before. Like Watchmen is all the characters in Watchmen were defunct characters that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons bought the rights to, you know, for very cheap prices. So the or maybe they used them when it was totally free to do so. But either way, like Marvel could do such a thing. You know, there's no reason not to like embrace what already exists of I'm sure a quite a developed Spanish language comics world. I agree. Like, um, like what Jose was saying at the very beginning of this, when he like jokingly mentioned being happy Trump was elected, where it's just like it's so shitty, but it brings it brings up all the shit. So you look at it, and someone mentioned the wall earlier. Like, it's so shitty and pathetic that it's gonna bring out the culture that like um, the conservatives are trying to suppress, and that's the one good aspect. And because it's the one good aspect, you wanna utilize it as much as possible so you want to bring in 
these um, minority characters or like by these minority characters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And um, it's uh, it can even be a truism that like companies have, are, could have a heyday right now with kind of like sponsoring a resistance to Trump just as like um, pink breast cancer awareness products and like green uh, supposedly ecological products that are not really very ecological have like made a lot of money for companies, you know. But, uh, you know, I think comics can stand out in a way that other nerd culture items that are quite consumerist cannot stand out as previously having a legacy of taking solid stands on issues like this. Like when George W. Bush was president, I did not really read comics at that time. But I did listen to a lot of NPR driving around Florida, where I lived at the time, and I remember them saying that like Captain America had died, and this was some kind of like protest that Marvel Comics was like staging against policies of the Bush administration, and thinking like, oh, this is worth taking note of. And only now do I know that they were talking about the end of Civil War, and they really didn't get it. But like. You know, they made me think as a former comics fan, an adolescent comics fan who in my early 20s was not a comics fan, actively uh, think that like Marvel was like taking a stand. And they were in a sense, you know, but it wasn't NPR was just oversimplifying it. So uh, before we start the segment, I have to say Dust is one of my favorite characters of the new generation of X-Men, uh, perhaps because she holds up the ideals the X-Men always stood for, which are internationalism and the depiction of a culture we don't see very often in the West. I love Dust because, um, you know, I was into New Mutants, I was into Generation X, and then these new little things come out, and I'm like, what the hell are these? Uh, I'm like, they're all, like, so one-dimensional. Like, I'm like, oh, Surge has electricity, and she's, like, Japanese. Like, oh, that's so special. Like, you don't even have a personality. One chick's name, she's made out of Mercury, and her name is Mercury. I'm like, that's so lame. It's like, what is Mercury except for this thermometer that my mother used to put on my ass? So anyway, and then who else was there? And then there was like Rock Slide, who was made out of rocks. I mean, I have things to do. And this is what some people are making up. <laughs> dust, who's made out of dust? Turned into dust? She is made out of dust, but at least she's not a fucking like, one-dimensional character. Which I guess she can be, as was what we were talking about earlier in this podcast. But, I mean, I kind of like that she at least held up the ideals of Len Wein's X-Men, you know, when Colossus and Nightcrawler, because I will have to say, if you look at early Nightcrawler, you know, he was German. He has no reason to be Catholic. He was Catholic as yeah, Catholic, Catholic AF, um, you know, he was Nazi German. He was, we, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about the ideals of Len Wein's X-Men back in the, um, in the podcast on new mutants, how like the new mutants were much more genuinely, representative of groups oppressed by the United States than Len Wein's X-Men were. Yes. Yeah. And I thought this was, Dust was kind of along uh, that line too. Um, oh yeah. One of my favorite moments though was in new X-Men Academy X number 39. Uh, she's fighting Belasco. It's the quest for magic storyline, which I have to say when I first read it, not a fan when I read it this time, big fan. And she says to Belasco, if today is the day I die, then let it be a death that makes Allah proud. The only thing is, after reading the academic papers we read, and after kind of the discussion we had here, I couldn't help but to think that this moment kind of played into the stereotype a little bit. So what did you guys think about that? Yeah, yeah. I, I yes. agree with that. Yeah. And, and totally. not that um, her being devout to her faith is necessarily a negative thing, but I think where it plays into the stereotype, um, at least 
for America is Muslims are obsessed with their religion and that is a bad thing, right? That, that's kind of the first thought that people will have. And to hear someone dying in the name of Allah, the, the association automatically in my mind goes straight to um, jihadists, which I know is not the case, but I know that's the stereotype. And I, it would have been nice if they can show a conservative Muslim, Muslim woman, which I, I think there's nothing wrong with it at all, but perhaps approached it a little bit more delicately and, and humanizing it more than I, I think they did with, um, with dust. Yeah. But then it's weird. And like, I literally just thought about this, but then you like look at like, um, a regular white character. And if he said like, Oh, like hopefully this is good for God. You wouldn't even think twice about it. Cause it's just so in our vocabulary. But again, I'm, Grant Morrison or whoever wrote that definitely put it no, that in. Was, that was Chris Yost. I do love his right, He put that in there for a reason, like hundred percent. Like he was like thinking, oh, my Muslim character should just say Allah. But it's just interesting to me where like if Cyclops or like Wolverine said that, like, oh, this is good for God. But like it would seem normal. Like it's because God's like a swear word for if yeah. you're not religious. Also, Cyclops is his own God. So it's hard. <laughs> but you know what I mean, though. Like if it was like a. Well, but I see what you, I see the point. You, know, you're you yeah. say God, like oh, this is good for God. It's just like if you read that in old text or even modern text, it's like, okay, like yeah, like he believes in God. I think that when you combine this though with the fact that like you know, I guess ninety percent of the stuff she says is about her faith, that uh, I can good, see uh, why. Yeah. No. Yeah. But I, it's still my and, favorite. I still think it's an awesome moment because yeah, she but kicked it, his ass. And like again, to. like he definitely wrote it in there for. a a reason, but it's just interesting how, like, because, in my opinion, because she's Muslim, like, for acknowledging that she acknowledges her God, whereas, like, if a white person said, like, oh, my God, or, like, like God, like, watch this, like, that wouldn't seem as, as strange. I can see that, yes. You know, eh. Well, yeah. Or I, not. If not, it's cool. I don't know. I think, well, I think it's a matter of perspective and familiarity, but I think it's, but it's, I think it's a very valid and very interesting point. To that, what I would say, if, if it's Cyclops or Wolverine saying that, you know they're not really preaching about God previously, so it's just weird for them. It yeah. wouldn't be. It wouldn't be so. That's true. She, yeah. she brought, she it, brought be, it up before, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an epic scene where she's, yeah. she's saying it's just like the Allah part or whatever. It just wasn't necessary. You know, she's already depicted as as a this Muslim. It's over excessive. Yeah, it's just, it's just not yeah. necessary at all. I guess I thought of her as being from this part of the world where they were just very religious. Yes, it's very religious, but I think my critique is coming from um, how do you differentiate being conservative and devout and religious from being an extremist? It would have been really nice if they would have tried to differentiate and highlight the difference between the two more rather than just putting the Islam thing right in front without really any context. I always thought that the idea of any kind of theism within comics to be really strange. You know, there's the celestials and then there's a collector and then there's galactic. You have like demigods and, and, and eternity who, who are basically gods. And then you add, a, you add a real world God into it where there is no personification for it, for him or her. There is no, there's no. So I, it's, I feel like it's going to be clunky until someone figures out a proper way of, of writing it out anyway. Yeah, because if it was Zaladine, she could have been like, hey, Garak, the sun god, um, who's actually a character, yeah. I think that Alex made a really interesting point that if it was, instead of Allah, if it was God, then people would have a very different reaction. And I think a lot of people fail to understand that Allah is just the Arabic translation of God. It's not 
this God that only Muslims follow. It's this one God. So, yeah, I I just, I think his point is really interesting. I, say, I, keep, I keep forgetting that there's people out there that don't consider, I mean, when I consider these three religions, I just consider them Abrahamic religions. But and a lot of people don't, which, yeah. is, which is a yeah. huge yeah. issue. It's the newest of, or right. the youngest of the Abrahamic religions. Exactly. And, um, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you could argue Mormonism, right? But I guess not. Yeah, there's a, yeah, well, Protestantism is also a lot younger than Islam, No, right? but Protestantism like, you know, like, is just a re- branding of catholicism oh okay all i was gonna say is that um like i'm quote-unquote christian i grew up christian but like i take that however as you want but um i grew up with a lot of jewish people and like the joke we had growing up was like we both believe in the same god but we have different beliefs or whatever but a lot of people and this is generalization but i think it's true in the u.s when you look at islam you think it's a different god even though technically it's all the same God. You're just interpreting everything differently versus like cultures from like super East. Like again, I'm being ignorant here, like China, Japan, blah, blah, blah. Like there are ancient religions, like they, what they think of as gods, like those don't um, relate to the West, but like Islam, Judaism, Christianity, we all believe in the same type of God. We just interpret everything differently, but for some reason, and it's an obvious reason um, when whites look at Judy or um, Islamic belief, it just comes off as different, which is obviously bad, but um, it's just interesting how like it all comes from the same perspective. When I used to go to mosques, there's like heavy debates on, as you say, like, you know, same God. And I totally agree. But then from people that are super religious from their perspective, their God is sort of is different from what the Christian God is. Can you elaborate? Uh, for curious. example, <laughs> for example, uh, you know, they would, they would say, why would a Christian God allow to eat yeah, pork, yeah, which yeah, is like yeah, considered yeah. haram, which is bad meat. You know, why would, yeah. you know, why would that, you know, all that. And, uh, why would they celebrate something like Christmas and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah. And, but then what I would say is like, if you look further back and like, it's just like when the text was interpreted in like the Middle East, they weren't eating pork at the time. Yeah. And so, like, it just got interpreted, in it. and it's so. And same thing with Judaism. It's just, I think, and that's where I think religion's cool as shit. Because when you look far back enough, it's just like, why did they say right, this right. type of stuff? Yeah. But and then it's just when people sort of start. But, but now, yeah. yeah, you're like, why? Yeah, yeah, exactly. When they start preaching their stuff, they kind of take their own feelings into it, and then they. And start then that making... deals what we were talking about earlier, and I'm being an idiot and forgetting where it was. Um, when you think of the uh, origin of a character being related to like the historical context. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That type of stuff. Yeah. 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 If it were a, if it were a, a Christian or Catholic character saying, you know, if I die, I will die for God. People would say, Oh, you know, they're religious, but um, I'm going to raise a really good point that that could be seen since dust is Muslim. And she's talking about Allah, that it could be seen as extremist and which is very interesting because they do stem from the same God just thinking about it now that you said that it always, I kind of go back to what Jose was saying about like any religion coming off as sometimes weird and comics. Cause I feel like they never truly address like, what does, um, what does religion mean to you when you're actually surrounded by people who have the ability of gods? And I think about that scene in the Avengers, maybe the first one where he's like, there's only one God and he doesn't dress like that. Like, I think that's a funny line that he says, Captain America says, but like, also it's, it always plays a little awkward because like someone's talking about the religious beliefs 
So I think that's also one of those things where like when she says that it's like she's like she pulled this my specific religion card, kind of like they pulled the like, well, Captain America's Christian. So he's gonna say the same about God right now. And he's standing next to Thor the Thunder God. So it's <laughs> it's just kinda weird. And also the Greek gods are characters of Marvel. There's like Hercules and other people. That is really interesting that they are. This was an interesting thing that Jose brought up that like they don't in Marvel, why do they have like some gods who stand above other gods but not but you know, like in for instance, in uh, Vertigo, it's pretty established by Sandman that there is a god who like presides over other gods, and there's a hell that is more primary than other hells, and that hell is ruled by the character Lucifer, who is who has his own comic in Vertigo, and like there's two in in Sandman, there's like two representatives of this like unnamed god who like negotiate on behalf of them in the kind of like a bartering for hell. You remember at the beginning of Sandman? Uh, two angels. They were, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Lucifer decided to leave hell. Yeah, And the yeah, two angels yeah. fight over. Well, God makes them like take over hell. They don't but want to take Why over. in Marvel is it so that like there is a more, maybe for the same reason that there's no Gotham City or Metropolis in Marvel. There's like, you know, that 9-11 happened on the day it really happened in Marvel, but not in DC. Maybe for the same reason there's like a hell in Marvel that isn't in DC. I don't know. Possibly. I will say, if you guys check out Lucifer number three, it's my favorite issue. Why? Because there's a quote from Comics First on the cover. Oh! oh. <laughs> I know. I only have to give like 11 hand jobs to get it. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's a giant biscuit. Yeah. Alex. All I was going to say is that, like, when you look at Sandman compared to Marvel, it's like Sandman is his own universe. It can decide everything versus Marvel's like 50 different titles. And I think, like, it's. Whenever we as fans read comics, like maybe it's different for you guys, but I just accept certain things won't make sense. So religion is one of those where like you have floor, there, there's like 12 other gods, Asgard exists, but then you have Daredevil where like he's obviously talking to like a Catholic God. And in my head, I'm just like, okay, that makes sense. It's a comic book. Like it's not even, a, not actually not even that as a comic book. It's Marvel. They're like covering 50 different titles and it's just one of those things where, like, they just accept that it won't make sense. For those of you with some X-Men and new X-Men's knowledge, do you think Dust does a good job of continuing the legacy Chris Claremont, Len Wein, and Bob McLeod began with using international characters to open readers up to new cultures? We talked about that earlier. Jamie? I think that Dust is in the same vein as the previous international characters in the sense that um, kind of like Bob McLeod mentioned in that interview with me where he was like, it was a little bit too on the nose, a little too stereotypical. I think that dust falls into that trap. But I do think that at the same time, it's important because kind of like Danny Moonstar, especially it took this thing that hadn't been dealt with. And I think it's like kind of the same in that it took something that was very controversial at the time and it put it in the forefront and it forced it to become a conversation piece. And I think that's important. So I would say it's very in the same vein in the sense that it took something that was very topical and it maybe didn't do the best job, but it still said we need to talk about it um, and provoked it. I don't think that she ever quite got the same like notoriety or depth that the other characters got from the mutants. But I do think it's very much in the same vein and it was very much the same attempt, like the same thought process behind it. I think she would have if Young X-Men wasn't canceled, but it was a terrible book. Um, so moving on to Monet St. Croix, I must say I have a special place for M. A.K.A. Monet St. Croix in my heart. Generation X began when I was just about to start high school, so I felt like this team was 
uh, one I would have been on if the X-Men were real, which is saying a lot of ifs, and if I was a mutant, because I feel like I would definitely be a mutant, though, if mutants were real. And I feel like I would definitely... What powers? What powers would I have? I would be... Well, I, I want to be, like, telepathic and telekinetic so I can just, like, not have anxiety, but in reality, like, my power would be, like, to, like, shit hard and not get any fissures <laughs> or something. Um, Like, something, like, really lame. That's, that's good. Yeah. Shit based power. <laughs> I would have, like, the lamest power. It would be, like, the power to, like, be fat no matter, like, even if I starve myself. It would be, like, something really shitty. Like, that would just not be sexy. It would be, like, the least sexy power. I just know that would happen to me. <laughs> I would have to be, I'd be, like, the one, like, cleaning up the X-Mansion like Toad is. <laughs> you know, like I'd be like, it just look really so sad. So your real power is to wear like a kind of like an outfit like Toad does, and not have it be fashionably incomprehensible. You know, that's like no, that's not, no, <laughs> no. I just gave you a list of powers, and you just changed right, right, that right, one. Right, right. You tried to top me, but it didn't work. Anyway, Emma Frost had just joined the Massachusetts Academy and was leading Generation X. So, of course, I would be on her team. Funny story: when Chris Claremont was here, not when we were recording for the podcast. I was like, you know, I would have been on Emma Frost's team, right? I would have, I totally wanted to be a Hellion when I was a kid. And he's like, no, you, you wouldn't have. And I was like, yeah, I would have. And he was like, no, you wouldn't have. And I was like, yeah, I would have. They're villains. They're not villains. They were, I just wanted just to. misunderstand. They were the villains. They were rivals. They were They're rivals, yes. Yeah. And then they also had like servants and shit and they were rich and I wanted to be rich. I that makes them villains. Yeah, I guess. They were also, they had like a hot. Like lady, way hotter than Professor. Certain members of the team were treated like shit, and others were treated the dickhead. You know, they're villains. I wanted to be like empath. I liked empath and Emma. They were a great couple. New Mutant sixty-two, great issue. Okay, anyway, Um, so Monet is the only Muslim character we'll be discussing that predates nine eleven. Did anyone notice anything? We kind of already talked about that. Do we talk about this? So, what sort of stereotypes does M dispel, and which ones does she play into? I remember Jamie and Amna were having a cool discussion. Uh, on that before the podcast would you care to elaborate jamie i would love to yeah the discussion that we were having to keep you all up to date who wasn't there which is everyone listening to this was i said that um m kind of played into a stereotype i had seen before because i went to a private catholic school um, with a lot of other rich kids in my school and there were a few kids who were from the East, they were Muslim American because their parents had come over, but they were born here. And they were all really rich because their parents had owned, I know I had a friend who her father literally owned water in the desert. It was like not casual. So they had kind of these really successful businesses. They were very rich. They had huge families. Um, so for me, I was like, oh, when I read that, I was like, oh, it's kind of like that stereotype of like a kind of rich Muslim, usually from India girl. Um, that was kind of being like, oh yeah, like that's definitely not the thing, but it does become a stereotype. So I thought it was interesting for M. She kind of played into a different stereotype that I don't see necessarily portrayed as often, but I definitely um, experienced in my own life. So I thought I was wondering if you guys too thought that because I know that was the first thing when I read stuff about M. I was like, oh right, got it, hundred percent. I guess sort of less unknown, I think, in my opinion, for like the Muslim type to be like, I don't know, like when I read, it, like I didn't. You, you don't you don't think of that as a stereotype uh from my perspective yeah, mine too as yeah, well no I, I didn't i didn't yeah i didn't i didn't actually didn't like even think about it now that jamie pointed i just it thought out. she was a foreign rich girl yeah just yeah. like that's all i thought too yeah uh i think that it's definitely never a question whether monet comes from a privileged family or not but i don't think her character is handled at all like uh your average like rich formerly colonized family member like um she 
she's overconfident. That's for sure. She's very like, she's she's confident to the point of excess. She's absolutely overconfident. But that is the only sense in which she is a member of a family that is trying to compete with Western Europeans for its like prominence on the international stage. She herself is totally much more believable to me than that. Also, her powers kind of lend themselves to her being overly confident. Well, I was going to say, there's that scene where it kind of parodies almost Legally Blonde, where they have like all the big cars dropping off her stuff. But there's also, so that falls into it, but there's also an uh, aspect of it where it's just like, she's just really good at things. Like, I think there's something where Julie's like, I would just call her perfect because that's what she is. So I think there's kind of, in some ways it goes against stereotypes. It's not like, oh, I suck at everything else, but I'm really good at using daddy's credit card. It's kind of like, yes, I come from a law family, but also I'm just really good at all this stuff, and I really care, which I think is nice. I will say that before Generation X came out, I can't believe I remember this from, like, 7th, 8th grade, but um, when they t- said, oh, these are the characters that are going to be in Generation X, they described Emma's power as being perfect. They were like, "M, she's perfect. Literally. I remember that. Um, anybody else? So, yeah, she no. just can fly and she's super strong. That doesn't make her perfect. She's really hot, you know. Telepathic. But like, all comics, women and men are all really attractive, you know. And telepathic like, and invulnerable, Alex. And yeah. not even that, like, she's just a confident woman. And, like, the fact, and I'm not criticizing any of us, the fact that, like, we're discussing that she's confident is, like, a saying in itself. Or is, like, we, we have, she's more confident, though, than your average person. Like, yeah, but, like, compared to Tony Stark. Uh, Tony Stark is an alcoholic, you know. She herself. Well, is, even, no, no, what no I'm way, saying, no what I'm God. saying, though, he comes yeah, off, he comes yeah. off confident, and charismatic, but like you focus on his addiction. Uh, I mean, she herself. I mean, she's not the patriarch of some no, kind of like sure. brand. No, you know, for, no, 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 no. Of a brand. But I wonder, she's like, like legit confident. No, though, and versus Emma Frost yeah. being like non-legit. She's yeah, the no, only she's, character who talks back to Emma. You know, no, and she's, Jubilee for a totally different reason. Yeah, because reason. She, I mean, she's, not like, yeah, she's yeah. like legit. She, yeah. I mean, like, Emma is wealthy and Emma Frost is rich. You know what I'm saying? Emma is like the, Emma is definitely like the like future president of some company, you know, that's like a And she's also right the away. current, yeah. help, sorry, can we keep no, going? No, yeah, good. I, that's all good points. I just think if she was a male, we wouldn't be as worried about it. I mean, I'm not worried about it. No, n- not worried, but we wouldn't be discussing it. You'd be like, oh, he's, he's confident. Well, if she was a man, we wouldn't have discussed her breasts for like three hours that we did. So. Yeah, yeah. They were out there. I'm not going to lie. They were... No, but well, my point, Jamie, in, is just that like... place. distracting. Well, I... I they're not distracted. No, they're, no, they're distracting me. Yeah. I couldn't... I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize. I was I just like... No, they were in a, I mean, they weren't distracted. I was just like, oh, I can't wait for that page where she becomes a Muslim and tells everybody. And then I finished it. I'm like, where the did that go and then i went back a few pages and i was like oh i think if you do like parse that like if it was a conscious decision to represent her that way i think like there could be something to be said about the stereotype where muslim women are oppressed and then because if you compare the way monet dresses to the way dust dresses they both they both present themselves in the way that they feel comfortable um so i think Monet just like having like her costume unzipped when she comes and says like I'm Muslim woman I think I mean like if you think about it I think something can be said in regards to her like shattering that stereotype that she needs to cover herself up but I do think that it can be seen as being in poor taste yeah I agree I also think that even if it like I said even if it wasn't done on purpose there's a lot to be said about all of that together as a whole but if it was done on purpose, it makes a lot of sense why a strong guy was like, 
what what do you mean and why she was like of course like why couldn't she be muslim just because she shows off her body you know like it's uh, towards what amna was saying not everybody needs to be so modest there was a woman who came to speak to my class once about how um she likes to wear the veil and in her home country um i think it, i think it in pakistan she was saying that people didn't like it because it gave the perception that they were backwards where she said people in America were more respectful of it because they're more respectful of accepting difference of religion. So I think that it's a very complicated situation in general. So that's why I think I can't quite accept the breast as being like this great political statement because I like doubt that it was thought about as much as I think about it. Lightning round. Which characters did you connect with most and why? For me, it was just Ms. Marvel. It might be because I've read her series since her debut, but like, We've talked about it earlier in the podcast. Like she's the female equivalent of Peter Parker, who I related to very well, and um, that's why I think her series was so powerful, or is still so powerful, is because she's just a girl living in Jersey City, happens to be Muslim, but she's going through the same shit that every sixteen-year-old goes through, and I think that's very powerful. Uh, definitely, Miss Marvel. Not just because I am a South Asian Muslim just like her. Even if I wasn't a South Asian Muslim, I would still be able to relate, relate to her. And I think she is so relatable because she is a person just like us, a comic nerd, trying to find a place in the world and still sh struggling to accept herself the way she is. So, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to echo what they said. I think that even though I don't have a fanfic with a thousand reads about the Avengers, I still relate heavily to that. And the, I kind of mentioned the rebellion thing earlier and the identity crisis thing. So I think that Kamala is like the most relatable, especially for um, like a millennial living in the city. You know, like that's just, it just hits home. I have to say, I do love her that she wrote an Emma Frost Cyclops fanfic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kamala, she's my favorite superhero, just for the same reasons everybody else says. She's so relatable. She reminds me of me and my friends when I was in high school. I also was obsessed with superheroes and wanted to have superpowers so bad. Um, I also, you know, in my own way, I experience an identity crisis in the in a similar way that she does. And just as as a hero, she's so inspiring. Um, she's always standing up to do the greatest good that she can, and I love her. It's crazy that. This girl's depicted as a you know a Pakistani girl, and she's caught in between the her culture and also the American culture. But what makes her just awesome for everyone is how relatable she is. Like everyone said, even if you're not in that same, you know, you don't come from that same background. It's it's great that the writers are using that sort of perspective in a way to unite everyone that are Western readers or whoever. I think I relate most to Monet Saint-Croix. Uh, part of the reason I do is that um, I find her to be a very genuine portrayal of what it's like to assume the position of leadership. Danny Moonstar I also find to be a very like relatable character for this reason, the kind of uncertainty that comes with responsibility over the p other people. Like Peter Parker and versions of him are all built around the kind uh, a impetus to action like as opposed to inaction in that position but danny and monet are both built around a kind of reaction to whether others will or will not follow your instructions and uh, monet has a good solid response to that which is she's overconfident 
she just projects a kind of like a I am sexy, I am powerful, I can fly, I'm super strong, I am invulnerable kind of like aura and it works. It's good. That's part of why I like reading her character much more than Cyclops, who also should project the same kind of aura, but instead is just assumed to be in power because of his masculinity. Whereas with Danny and Monet, the same kind of position is expressed as uncertain. Well, spoiler alert, he's dead, so you're good. It is. And like and like what's what's properly dealing with sexism is to portray men as feeling the same uncertainty as these women, rather than to portray men as like feeling none of the uncertainty, as has been true for much of Cyclops's career. <laughs> Somehow it always ends up on how much you hate Cyclops. It always ends with Cyclops. I know. All like 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 Cyclops is a god in which he's like all things from me proceed and all must return. Yeah, he's like Satan, you know, he rules the lake of fire. Well, that was like Satan. Cyclops is so much cooler than Satan. I like Dust because um, I think she like steps up and gets shit done. Moral of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, do you think the comics medium is a good one to help dispel stereotypes in two sentences or less, Alex? Yes, because it caters to a young audience most of the time and um they see these positive role models and different origins from their own, so that's positive. Awesome. Jamie Rice. Yes, because um, it gives the chance over a long period of time and over years for someone to build a relationship with a character that's in themselves and that has a positive impact on your ability to understand people who are not like you. Chowder soup. I'm soup now? Yeah, it's, uh, definitely. You know, it opens up a lot of discussions, just like this amazing podcast that we're having, you know? Awesome. Kat, how about you? Yes, because comics are a huge medium that a lot of people are reading, and I think it's the perfect opportunity to represent a whole variety of people. If you had to give Marvel a grade on these three female Muslim characters in terms of how they shatter stereotypes, what would the grade be from A to F? It's like a total grade and like together? All together. I would give them a B minus. Oh, oh snap. Yeah. Uh, who wants to Generous. go next? Wait, 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 Jamie has to explain why the B minus. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say that because for me, it kind of, I was going to say C plus, but I felt like that was harsh because I was going to say I give Ms. Marvel an A and then I would give Monet like a B, but then I want to give Dust because it didn't get the chance to be better, like like a C minus or a D. So I feel like it kind of like balances out to a B minus over the course. I I actually agree with Jamie, like the same. B B minus is pretty solid. It's like weird for me because like sometimes I want to say like an A because like we have Miss Marvel, which is an amazing title. But then sometimes I want to say like a D because it's like you should just be progressive and like have more characters who are like Miss Marvel or Dust or whatever. But um. Like I said earlier, like Marvel is a company and like as shitty as that sounds, like they're just marketing as best as it can. So I would say like their effort is definitely more than other comic companies. Like the fact that like, this podcast is about Marvel Muslims versus DC, I think is a... Uh, they only have one Muslim and he's like a guy, right? I don't even know. So, uh, Simon Buzz, the Green Lantern. And, then yeah, it, and I don't know. know. He does, he's not. Uh, he doesn't even exist to me. <laughs> 
So you hate DC. But then I'm being ignorant. I can think of Shazam or Black Adam, but I don't want to get into that. But like, on the other hand, Marvel is just one is just one subsidiary in one of the largest corporations in the world right now, Disney, that publishes Marvel movies regularly and has nothing to worry about at all in terms of stockholders. Yeah, so like, 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 I think yeah. that gives them that gives them a reason they should try. They should, it does absolutely. They should be on the forefront. But at the same time, it's like. They should try, like, as you and I are, like, very liberal, we're thinking that, but, like, I'm also being an asshole and thinking, like, what the CEO's thinking of, and, like... They're thinking that they're that they're going to be, like, they're going to, like, play it safe. Oh, my God, what is the grade that we're giving? <laughs> What's, I want to know what Nolan's I, I, give a, I give a B- as well. Okay, B-. minus. Nolan, what was your f***ing grade? F. Star Wars has no yeah! <laughs> All right, and Nika? No, uh, really. I would give an A-. minus. Oh, I love that. Cat? I will give them a B because while Kamala is a huge success, they should not rest on their laurels and keep going. Amen. I would give a B for the exact same reason. Anika, why an A minus? Well, compared to other comic book publishers, I think Marvel is making progress towards having a representation of diverse backgrounds. And I think that these three characters that we talked about today, they're Three of them are very different and they're from very different parts of Muslim countries. And so overall, I think that it is a good representation of like each part. Of the comics you read, what would you recommend and why? No one this better be on target. I bet I would recommend Generation X for two reasons. One reason that it's about to start back up again. So that's a reason to read the initial run, which is only like 60 issues long or so. 75. So 75. That's still about the same amount. And uh, another reason is that Generation X was dealing with controversial topics that aughts X-Men tried to deal with, I'd say with mixed success in a way that uh, Generation X dealed with much more successfully. And we're about to see that same kind of... Um, Topic rise again for the simple reason that, hey, you know, a highly corrupt neoconservative is in power in the United States again. So now we have the same kind of comics again. Yeah, no, uh, Miss Marvel, I would say, just not that complicated. Re- uh, just it's simple. It was Marvel. It was good. Everybody yeah, read it. Anika. Just, just Marvel. I think it's obvious on my answer to Miss Marvel. Read the open letter. Because- <laughs> Everyone should go on comicsforce.com and read your open letter. Yes. Yeah, thanks for promoting my article. Yeah, because I think Miss Marvel, I, I strongly recommend it because it's it's funny, it's relatable, and it's also empowering. Miss Marvel is the modern day Spider Man, so that's why. Uh, Miss Marvel, it makes me cry when I think about it, and for all the other reasons we've mentioned tonight. Um, also, it was one of the biggest sellers. It's like top some bestseller list. The first issue reached the seventh printing. It's pretty incredible. Ms. Marvel, most relatable book that's not about yourself you'll ever read. I would say New X-Men Academy X-Quest for Magic issues 37 through 41. I thought that they were good and it was cute this time. First time I read it, didn't like it. This time I thought it was cute. If there was one thing you guys and ladies wanted people to get from this discussion, what would it be? Um, I think I would want it to be that Muslim culture and Muslim people are diverse and no one depiction can account for all of it. I think that's probably the most important takeaway in any conversation about a different culture, especially one that is treated the way ours does. 
I think comics in general um, should be should be done this way, but especially when you're honing in on characters that are being highlighted for their diversity, because sometimes we cannot always identify what stereotypes are, we should challenge ourselves to try to look for examples in what ways are people that I know that are like this, like for example, Muslim superheroes, like what are the depictions of this person being Muslim that I'm seeing in this piece? And can I think of any examples in my life that are the opposite or not this, something different than this? I think in that way, it just helps it helps one just be a little bit more aware and it helps you understand that sometimes the picture that's being painted for you is um, there's, there's more to it than, than just what's in front of you. I would say be careful of false binaries. The idea that because you are this, then, and then, then I must be the opposite because you are Muslim and you are, you know, all these stereotypes and then I, and, and I've and I've stereotyped you as evil, then I must be by default good, even though X, Y, and Z. And we all know that that's all crap, that, that people are people, that whatever label you put on them, Muslim, Christian, black, white, male, female, uh, male, female all, and again, all binaries, by the way, that no one is ever pure of anything. That purity of anything, what we've learned from comics is that the most pure people are usually the evil ones who want one thing to be only one thing mm-hmm. that the rest of us, uh, you know, struggle with good and, uh, and evil between right and wrong. The rest of us struggle with on some things I'm liberal on and some things I'm conservative on. And, and, and that's okay. And you fall a little bit left of center and you fall a little bit of right of center. And that's one of the things that I really love about comics and, and anyone listening and, and, and reading comics, they kind of like look at it from that perspective. I would say don't, limit your perception of who people are based on a stereotype that you've been exposed to. People are multitudinous and multifaceted and you can't generalize everybody into what you think they are. And the way that comics is used to teach that in a way, um, to show that anybody can be a hero, it's not even necessarily just humanizing Muslim people or any um, any marginalized group as saying like, oh, you know, this is a human being because they can be a hero too. It's like, no, they're a human being because they're a human being. You don't have to justify giving somebody the right to live with human rights. I want to pick up on what Jose was saying by just kind of pointing out that one really good way to look beyond binaries is to look at how people who are outside the binary naturally view the both sides of the binary. Like the more I study China as an academic whose job it is to study China, the more I realize that like from the East Asian perspective, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all look like three sides of the same coin. You know, they're just like, well, they're you know, the Old Testament is the same for all of them. They believe in all a lot of the same prophets. And like Buddhism is the most international religion people believe in over there. Maybe like socialism is the second most. But that kind of um, attitude, that kind of perspective, which is part of the real world, not the false world, is uh, afforded people who don't live in places distant from the metropole like we do by fantasy and science fiction. That kind of that's part of the goal of fantasy and science fiction is to let any reader understand what it is like to 
look upon their own customs as kind of alien, unfamiliar things, you know? And when you look at, and X-Men is one such example, when you look at the kind of binaries, the kind of divisions that divide people in X-Men, you see, if you think of the, of like supernatural powers being real, you see that like compared to that, they all seem kind of like minor. I would say uh, progress, you know? From all this, if if the listeners could take, you know, look at progress. Now we have Kamala Khan. So hopefully um, in the future we will have more other, you know, Muslim or non other various religious characters. Um, I'm still waiting for, for uh, maybe another Muslim comic where the character's Muslim and then he just decides not to be Muslim. Like, hey, mom and dad, I don't want to be Muslim. I'm an atheist. And then that would be great, you know. So I will say yeah, think about you know forward. So think think progressive and yeah. So to progress, let it not be an illusion, rather a destination. Like Chatter was saying, um, is being progressive, have as much representation as possible. Um, I said earlier, where like we only have three Muslims in Marvel. I think it's just a sign on society where like you need to have way more and. Other cultures as well. I think all the characters, M, Dust, and Ms. Marvel, they all show their different sides of the coin. And um, Ms. Marvel especially, I think, is showing the way that we should be going as a society where hopefully we have more characters like her who are just as powerful and representative representative of uh, her culture. Overall, I hope that this discussion helps people to have an open mind and understand that Muslims are just regular people and banning people just for their religious views is a form of dehumanization. And this is, it's 2017 and we've made a lot of progress and I feel like this ban is just, it's just, it's just like, it's, it's stopping us from all the progress that we've made. So yeah, overall, I just hope that it helps people understand we are just regular people. I would say what I want people to take away is check yourself. That when you start saying, oh, I'm nothing like this, or I don't relate to this at all, look a little bit deeper because I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that you do because we're all human beings. We're all having the same human experience. And guess what? Not everybody from the same place thinks the same way, especially the same place that has a one in 1.34 billion chance of harming you. So take that along with you. Anyway, that does it for another episode of the Comics First Podcast. I'd like to thank my panel, uh, Anika, Manhattan Clam Chowder, Amna, Jose, uh, Jamie, Alejandro, Nolan Lannister, and Kat. And thanks to Dennis for filming and Demetrios for editing. Demetrios, I hope this isn't too much of a pain on the ass to pain in the ass to edit. Check us out on comicsfirst.com, all over social media, and have a great night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bye.